Live right when he walked away. You would do that. Hey, you would do that. Hold on a second. He walked away right when I went live. <laughs> What's up, to our sidekicks and henchmen out there in the Geek Nation? You're watching the the God. There he is. Thank you for joining us on this very special edition of the Cult Pop Podcast, wherein we will review this week's books, we will talk about some letters, some correspondence, and then we will do some gutter talk, which is, uh, you know, some conversation around the world of pop culture. I'm your host, Johnny Destructo. With me this week is Len. Yo, what's up, Highlight your boy? And also? Hey, hi, I'm Brian, and I'm here, right below Jay-Z. And then... Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, my name is Noel. I'm here also today in this stream and on this podcast ah. with these guys. Uh, th- there you go. That's oh. So, like I said, we've got correspondence. Correspondence! We got correspondence? We, this is from Christopher St. Saucy Goodnight. Oh, no. He said it's, it's questions for gutter talk, though, which is at the end of the show. Should I wait till the end of the show to read it? Sure. Let's wait. All right. Well, we're here to talk about this week's books. First up is Hedra, for some reason. Ah. (laughs) That's at the top of the list. I don't know why. Written and arted by Jesse Long. Uh, Diamond has this to say. In a glorious exploration of the comics medium with echoes of 2001 A Space Odyssey, Flash Gordon, Chris Ware, and Mobius, a lone astronaut leaves a world ravaged by nuclear war in search of life. What she finds is beyond all explanation. So, um... The first thing you're going to notice about this book, as soon as you put it in your little hands, is that it's big. It's a big boy. It's like magazine-sized. The second thing you're going to notice when you uh, – thank you, Noel – when you flip through it is that it's – what's how many grid? How many panels? One, two, three, four, five, five, ten – what is that, like a 30-panel grid on each page? Uh, it's almost, yeah. It doesn't it, – it falls out 30. of that sequence 30. a little bit, but – Yeah. yeah. It's always there in your mind, but it right. changes, you know, sometimes. But it does change. Yeah. Uh, so my um, response to this book is, it is immaculately put together with mm. uh, panels, with the negative space especially, mm. and um, it, it sort of feels a little bit like Jeff Lemire art style wise, uh, as far as like facial structure and the cartooning of it. But I did find it mildly impenetrable. Mm. You did. This is this is one you got to work for. Is what I'm saying. Uh, and hopefully we, someone can explain the very, very end to me uh, before we finish reviewing the book. But I thought it was really cool, and it's certainly something that I don't see very often in the comic book realm. Mm. What did you think, Brian? Uh, I really liked it. Now, full disclosure, I was primed to like it because Noel was like, Brian would like this. Oh no! I said, I said, I look forward to Brian explaining this to us because it's like one of those. It it definitely felt like it was in his wheelhouse. One of those things that are just like, you know, who would who would find greater meaning from this? Hmm. Brian, cool. I think Brian would. Yeah. And then, so maybe I was like, I'm gonna find some greater meaning in this, (laughs) and then and then enjoyed that. But uh, so if that was the case, you know, it all worked out well because I really liked it. Now. At the top, let's talk about the end. 
Um, I agree with you, JD. It, I found myself uh, feeling like it could have used just, just a little bit more. About, right. Now, but I mean that literally. Like, I liked, I thought it carried the story through, like, the whole way. I just want a little bit more about the Hedra or Hedra. I'm not sure, because they are Hedron, you know? Um, I thought that that revelation was kind of cool. You know, they're geometric, what a Hedra or Hedra is. I would have liked a little bit more about why, what happens with her? Why is she only partially transformed? Is that a, a, a step in the process? She seemed to pull away. And then maybe just a little bit more about, uh, as part of that, what these Hedra are, right? I, I have a notion as to why. Okay. So she helped the Hedra. Right. And in, in response, so, so she is on a mission to uh, explore the cosmos to save the war-torn Earth, the post-apocalyptic Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, after her saving the the Hedra, Hedra, whatever, mm. um, in response, or as a thank you, he gives her this gift of whatever of power. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I thought a little bit differently. She, than that. she um, halfway through the process, or towards the beginning of the process, kind of stops it, saying, "I don't want to lose my humanity. I want to use piece of this gift that you gave me mm. to go." deal with it was almost like before she completely let go she had to go back to earth and share her gift mm. and then bounce because the, the end just has her like leaving the already healed her so the end, now hexagonal earth yeah. right that's the thing so she brings life back to the planet um yeah. but it is different right like that life is different than was there before but then as she leaves if you guys go to the last page it um it changes her bubble, right? As she flies off, the yeah. bubble starts out as circular and then becomes on the last page, the, you know, like a very geometric thing. That mm-hmm. could symbolize the totality of transformation, you know, for her. Yeah, that's kind of how I took it too. Yeah. Like her, her job was done so she could give in and ascend now to become this yeah. other being. Yeah. And, and also I, uh, even with that, I would have liked a little bit, uh, but where would it be, right? I like that as the final page. Um, maybe you could do an epilogue with them sitting there. My impression was not just a gift, but that she was a missing Hedra, right? Um, when they're in their uh, Hedra palace, they, um, which looks Hedradum? Hedradum, did you say? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, which looks awesome. There is like a scene where each of the hedra are there and uh, they've got their hedra on top of them and one of them is dotted and, and absent, right? So I assume that it was her. And this, ooh, this panel where she has been transformed and she is looking sort of aghast and in wonder at her arm and you see the other ones there with just their arms down in that classic like your power pose. That's a very cool panel. So I took that as, um, so they all didn't really look the same. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like a, I thought it was just who, whenever they find a being worthy, it doesn't matter what origin they are. So they're all different races or, or, mm-hmm. or types of aliens. And then she was the next one picked that he didn't like 
give her a heads up what was going to happen. So her arm starts to change. She freaks out, and they're all just like, "No, no, no! This is this is all of us." So yeah, oh yeah, we all yeah. went through. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you think she goes like at the end? She is one of the Hedra having complete yeah. on Earth. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, I th- I don't because even like the the next page of that scene you're talking about, she's yeah. essentially telling them like. No, no, no! I have to go back I to Earth. Know. I have to like finish yeah. my mission. I'm yeah. not saying no. Just hey, thank yeah. you. That that was the part I really struggled with. Oh, mm. oh, I moved it. Where'd it go? Yeah, that. Mm. I didn't realize that was her sort of like telling them about yeah. her planet. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was like, and she, you know, she's got the the shape above her that like she's not refusing it. She's just like, that's cool. But let me tell you. I got all this other stuff and I had a mission and shows the earth and like, yeah, maybe can I do that? And then she goes and does it. You know, the use of circle or, or circular sort of direction in this is really cool. And I saw it again there where it's the front of her helmet is a circle, the back of the thing reflecting <laughs> the earth and then circles leading down into a jagged square page that she uh, brings this circle to the, the, the way that it directs your eye in this book is phenomenal. Yeah, you know? I want to tell you something real quick. Also, uh, nope, not today. Whoops. <laughs> um, here we go. You can see they use circles to show you the pet, the arc yeah. of of the slicing, which yeah. is really cool. Like you can follow the motion of the sword as she's slicing it at people, and then. Uh, talking about um, the negative space, when he goes to sit up and he bonks his head on the top of the panels above him, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. There's, um, um, I forget, I, it must have been something, um, oh, Kindred. We read it for, for book club. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I was, if anyone's ever read that book, um, the, the graphic novel version of it, um, the panel layout is very static and it's very um it's all it's like the whole thing is almost nine panels and you don't really get motion between the panels it's literally just like almost like play setups like stage 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 there's no action or kinetic activity between the panels to kind of like use the art form this is the complete opposite of that where it was so kinetic going completely through almost just like you know water going through rocks which was just really really cool at first it was off-putting like what the fuck am i looking at yeah. not even reading what am i looking at yeah but then it starts to kind of like flow in a really cool way and i i i would i would highly suggest people get it physical if they can especially something like this the yeah. large format and the 30 panels is just it's it's pretty wild it, yeah. this was cool i hated how much i kind of dug this I think I think my one besides you know sort of confusion at some of the storytelling because there are no words and it's not in, in abundantly clear what's happening at the end. Uh, I think the one thing that was problematic for me was the drawings of the creatures. Mm. Those guys were just there's so many little little details in there that it's so muddy that it's hard to tell exactly what's happening mm-hmm. with those characters. But otherwise, otherwise it's wonderful. Len. Yes. Did I don't know if you wanted to be on the show or? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. Thank you for having me. I appreciate sure. you <laughs> so much. Um, I did. It, the first thing I felt when I was reading this book, first of all, I don't know. You know, we've spoken about the art. We've spoken about the the panel layout. 
I don't know if we necessarily hit it on the head that this is a silent book. There are no words in this book, ladies and gentlemen. So the storytelling has to be, you know, Mm. top notch. It has to work overtime to not only tell the story, but like Noel said, direct your eyes across the page, across Mm. the very challenging panel layouts. And I was reminded, like, you're right, J.D., it does have, like, the art style, uh, a little bit of Jeff Lemire, even though I could definitely see the, the uh, Mobius uh, um, uh, influence in there oh, yeah. as well, um, big time. Uh, but I was reminded of some of the work of, oh, man, I, now his name just blew my mind, just uh, J.H. Williams, the, the guy, oh. the, the Batwoman. Oh, yeah. In, in that his... His panel layouts would be so intricate and so beautiful that it would be distracting. So you would be stopping on every page and you would lose track of the story. You'd lose track of where your eyes are supposed to follow. This, the art doesn't get in the way. It's storytelling first. And maybe that's because uh, of it being silent and so it knows that it has to work overtime and it knows that simple is better the simpler you keep it the easier it is for you to follow it yes like jd said those those creatures they were a little kind of got like a lot of uh like like uh like a whole lot of needling in the artwork that can make it hard to see what's going happening with them um and and the one thing I, that distracted to me about them is that be, because they were so kind of like grotesque looking it was almost um like you knew they had to be the bad guys and so i kind of like that hit me on the head because there are so few characters in there it's like oh here are the bad guys and lo and behold they are the bad guys so i bumped on that a little bit but overall this was like the best of Flash Gordon down to <laughs> the rocket ship um, design, yeah. which is yeah. based on the original Flash Gordon from the 30s. Um, so it, it definitely evokes that imagery of it. Um, I follow the story. I follow the panel layout. I was there. Um, it was one of the one of two books this week that I was mad that I was reading in a digital form because I would have loved to just have this yeah. in the physical form. And I think this would be not only a great comic book for your collection, I think this would be an interesting comic book if you are so inclined to be a person that has a coffee table and has a coffee Ooh. table book uh, and, and likes to have things on your coffee table, buy a couple of copies of this and leave one on your coffee table. I you know, I would. if yeah. I was, if I was maybe a fifth, sixth grade literature teacher or English teacher. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would use this yeah. because I would want the, the, um the art and the effort of, just with pictures telling a story, but then also interpreting a story mm-hmm. for for young readers would be rad as hell. You know, like how, like, tell me what happened. Why do you think that? What made you think that? Like showing them the, the connection between, you know, moving pictures and actual narrative art form. This is awesome for that. That's and it's point. also it's also yeah. awesome to teach to artists. There are a lot of artists out yeah. there. Who and I don't mean just sequential artists, you know, doing comic books or comic strips. There are a lot of artists in, in, alone who could pick up on some of the the simplicity of 
but still detailed line work that is in this book, man. This is this is a yeah. book that just keeps on giving. Yo, I'd put pages of this on my wall as a mm-hmm. poster. There's that, like the when she first leaves, and you get this like arcane symbology page. That shit is awesome. When she rises up with the Hydra is great. Um, Len, you you made me think of like J. H. Williams or even like Swamp Thing that we read the other day uh, okay. was different panel layouts, right? But they, whereas they use the panel layouts to, to tail and further the story and to emphasize certain things or whatever, uh, they don't, and I'm not sure I have ever seen somebody use the panel layout and the white space as part of the motion of the story. Or like, like when JD pointed out the head thing, uh, when he bangs his head on the panel or when mm. they rise up, there's one, uh, they're rising up within that uh, alien yeah. planet. Yeah. And the panel swoops after them, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. I don't, and, and the circular leading, you know, when they're out in space. Right. I think that I was, was the first for me to have seen. It's awesome. I was trying, I was trying to look it up real quick, but I, I think I read that this was digital first in pieces. It was oh, yeah, before, before being printed. Yeah. What? Oh yeah. It was in, it was in the, it was in the back thing, wasn't it? Yeah. In the back Which, thing he said that. Yeah. Again, you know, like how, I, if, <laughs> This flowed relatively well enough for a silent issue, just one full thing. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how it would have read uh-huh. digital on yeah. whatever screen people are using, but whatever size. So you don't really, you, you can't really control the aspect ratio. But then also in pieces, I, maybe it would have been easier in pieces because you've got like a week or days in between each little like two page of yeah, depending on next, right? Depending on how much you get, like it is kind of broken up in the classic serialized sci-fi way. Yeah. yeah. Like we're here at this planet. Now we're here at this planet and then here. So yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's cool on that last page where he uh, talks about, you know, he gives his thank yous and everything. Um, And that's where he mentions that this was originally in a newsprint edition that was online or at different shows. He was, if you look at the artwork there, the story continues because you okay. see like the little grotesque creature has now figured out how to fly the Flash Gordon ship. And like, oh, you don't know what's going to happen now. Oh, this is good stuff. Good oh, stuff. man. I did, <laughs> I did not notice that. I, I didn't notice that? that. <laughs> I even read that text and I was like, eh, it's just, you know, I'll move on. <laughs> nice. Right, because she left the rocket ship. She doesn't. She didn't need it anymore. Yeah. Oh, cool. I like this even more now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I often find that after we talk about a book, I will feel better about the book. <clears throat> cool. Yeah. You guys. You, yeah. you weren't you weren't feeling the book for the most part, JD. Oh, I was. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, as an aside, these chats with you guys always help me appreciate a book more than I did previously. Mm, got you. Got you. Yeah. Uh, I, right. Yeah. Move on to. Uh, Batman Superman Batman. by Joshua Williamson and Clayton Henry. Devastation in Gotham City. Following the events of a massive explosion in Midtown, Batman and Superman pick up the pieces to learn who rigged the atomic skull like a bomb. And will they do it again? All will be revealed as the horrific plan of the ultra-humanite rains terror down on the lives of the Dark Knight and the Man of Steel. This was fun. This is like... This was very sort of just classic yeah. um, DC comic booking, 
Yeah. Nothing big and crazy, but it, it was fun and it was energetic. Um, I, I don't have too much to say about it because, again, it wasn't big and crazy. Uh, but I, I did think it was a nice little, you know, a little. Had you, did you guys read the last issue? We no, didn't I talk about the last issue, right? I started reading this and I was like, ooh, this is cool and fun. Oh, it's part two? And then I just read yeah, my back and read. It was, read it, it was weird. Like, uh, first of all, I agree with you guys. This is like, this is comic booking. This is really fun. This feels like, yeah, I know that's grotesque and awesome. Yeah. This feels like the, uh, how the title was, you know, in the early 2000s with Jeff yeah. Love doing weird Jeff stuff. Love but it was really, that. but it was just, it was big punch and fun, right? As much as I like Clayton Henry, it was a weird turn from Darrington to him between issues eight and nine. So nine was a little weird, but this one totally grooves. And some of that like uh, ultra humanite art is just awesome, which JD just showed. This is a cool story. This, this book is just really cool. I yeah. love the art. I love Clayton Henry. He, he's, oh, so do I. His pencils and inks are so tight. It's really nice. I think the only problem I have with this issue is for some reason, he has elongated everyone's foreheads. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. They all got long faces. <laughs> yeah. Especially the ultra humanite, right? His brain is coming out the top of his head. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, cool, uh, interesting or cool, like uh, I saw that Joshua Williamson is leaving Flash, hmm. but the book is gaining Clayton Henry as the normal hmm. artist. That's cool. I don't know the writer, though. No. No. Never even heard of the dude. Hopefully it'll be good. Oh, you, you've heard who it is, but you just don't recognize yeah, him. Um, yeah, I think his last name is like Shinnick or something like that. Schnick. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I literally have never read anything that they've ever done. But um, I figured you would want to know that. I do. Thank you. Um, yeah, I thought the, I thought the same. That it, so at, we read and loved the the Nick Darrington. Nick. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, and you know, we, we all of us loved it. I think. And and then I re- I was like ah, but it's not going to be. It's not going to be that story and they're those guys anymore and uh it wasn't but it was still a lot of fun yeah. um and it it also made me think nothing to do with the book but ultra humanite was they introduced him as like the original supervillain somewhere he was the first superman like main antagonist right and i was just thinking what if like what if that had been the case the, <laughs> he wasn't always the gorilla he changes brains you know, can you imagine like the different path the story would have gone? How many people would have turned out to secretly have been the ultra humanite mm-hmm. over the decades? You know, yeah, yeah. Lane probably a few times in the Silver Age. You just you just created a um, secret invasion style uh, event for DC that like stems all the way back where they could just <laughs> add anybody to be ultra humanite. Yeah. Well, I mean that is that was basically the plot line of. A great Elseworlds by James Robinson and um, Paul Smith, The Golden Age. So, like, pick that up and and check that out. You'll love that. I like this book. I liked. I enjoyed this book a, a lot. I couldn't help but feel, to a degree, that I was reading Superman and Batman in the Invincible universe because in the Invincible comic book, he fought. Um, some robots that were created of from dead humans. Um, the Reanimen. Yeah, the Reanimen mm. who kept coming yeah. back and back and back over the run of that book. 
Um, he had a character who was like, you know, larger than life with his brain and but was, you know, you thought maybe was out for it to help humanity, but actually he was a bit of a psycho. I think it was he was Dragon Man or Alligator Man or whatever the hell. Um, the art was reminiscent of some of the best of Invincible to me. It's not a knock. It's just that that's how it felt. To me, um, you know, the, it, the coloring is very invincible. Like the, yeah, the, the coloring, coloring style is super invincible. Yeah. Um, and then the the one thing that did kind of like like eh, the ultra humanite definitely has always been depicted as a a very intelligent villain. So I dig that he would be able to capture Batman, mm. but I don't understand and this is just comic books i know it's comic books being comic books i don't understand that you're going to do a surgery on batman and then put his clothes neatly back on so that he doesn't realize he's had surgery first plus plus this isn't Lex Luthor swapping his brain with the Flash and realizing I don't know who the hell this is. The second you take Batman's mask off, you've got the big, you've got most of your problem solved because <laughs> he's one of the most famous men in the world underneath that mask. So if anything, I'm no longer calling you Batman. I'm like Brucey, <laughs> oh Brucey boy. <laughs> Those are always Franklin for sure, but. It was done up the nose, which is like a little thick. It like he didn't have to remove anything. It was orthoscopic. Just it was like, a COVID test. It was just boop. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> like he got he got in there from the navel cavity. It's fine. That's a good yeah, nasal that's a good. cavity. Sorry, I, I I I ruffled my feathers at the same thing, Len. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I didn't think about it at all. How you yeah. slept? Yeah, I didn't. There are no repercussions physically. <laughs> With that reveal, that line was awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> Those are all fine points, and I and I and I love to hear about them. But the, like, oh, I do enjoy being a proper villain. I did want yeah. to- and That was pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. Oh yeah, it was all set up for that line. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, th- I mean that's sort of part and parcel for this book itself, right? Like that's true. It's true. like big and kind of well, not big, but it's like small and fun. Mm-hmm. With sort of, they use a lot of comic book logic in this yeah, yeah. series. Joshua Williams does. Uh, this is probably a... what. What other stuff besides the Flash, which I don't like? What does Joshua Williamson write? Joshua Williamson is going to like be taking that. over Justice League, I believe. Right for uh, at least for the death metal stuff. Oh, okay. Is he the one? Is he the so, one doing it now? The like the Spectre no. story? Not, no. Okay. No. Huh. I just I was about to say this is probably the best thing that Josh Williamson like the thing I'm enjoying the most out of Josh Williamson, but then I didn't want to be like forgetting oh, right, right. some big book that he's writing that I'm enjoying. He did he did nail biter. Nail biter? Okay. So so, so yes, this is this is what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Did he write the did he write the last arc too? Yeah, he's done this book since okay. jump. So that's that's oh, actually right. what I like most about this book is that it's not one thing for twenty issues. It's right, literally right. like Two to, other than that first six issues that dealt with the that right. had no resolution and dealt with the Batman who laughs and stuff, it has yeah. just been anthology almost, just like two to three story arcs, a different artist, 
this should be a showcase book, and it is. And that's actually why I, I think it's really tight and fun and, and comic yeah. booky. It's, I like it a lot. DC Cybernetic Summer Special Number One, yeah. written by Corinna Bechko, Joshua Williamson, Max Bemis, Steve Orlando, etc., with art by Gabriel Hardman, Nicola Scott, Greg Smallwood, Coley Hamner. Etc. In this sizzling summertime anthology special, Harley Quinn and Cyborgman conquer a truly titanic waterslide. Cyborg Superman and Cyborg Superman find it difficult <laughs> to have a conversation, much less a. And Batman tries everything to escape a summer cookout, even taking on the omnipotent brother I and his newly infectious. Infectious. <laughs> oh, Max. <laughs> and it goes on for there for another like, paragraph. But uh, basically, we just have a summer special. It's an anthology. You got a bunch of different people doing a bunch of different stuff that's all cybernetically referencing the cybernetics of Cybertron. I petered out. Hugh uh, <laughs> powering down. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My cybernetics are failing. Um, uh, I think there is some good stuff in here. Mm. Overall, it, it didn't enhance my week very much. What did you guys think? Uh, Len? Uh, I was just like you. I was petering out as I was reading this book. Um, and that was on page four. Um, <laughs> it, it's just, this was just boring to me. I mean, it was kind of cool to see the metal men and, and platinum and wonder woman, like, you know, run around and, you know, Nicola Scott's artwork on that was, was cool. Mm. Um, and there's some, there's some fun bits like the, the robot man story is kind of, mm. it's, it's good art. Um, it, but for the most part, this was just a bore to me, which with, which is fine. It's a dumb little summer book. It's a tryout. They're giving people work. You got money, you know, here, you know, keeping y'all busy while y'all sitting in that home. So it, it, God bless. And the theme was, you know, c- cybernetic robots, things. Okay, whatever. Make it work. Um, the the hand fisted Harley Harlequin in there because you've got to put her into everything. But that was bad. But you know what? Hey, I'm not going to be mad because for 20 years they've been doing it with Batman. So if they now are hand fisting a woman character into everything, you know, God bless. Um, so <laughs> too sure. But Batman is still here. Well, well, <laughs> well, yeah. But only when Batman's still there, though. It's not. It's not a swap. Let's be clear. True. But 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 no what led but led up what led the write up was Harlequin because they know yeah. what was going to uh, get the true. get people to the yard yeah. so it's so it is what it is yeah, it's whatever I like the Flash yeah. one I thought the Flash one was really good with art by um oh what is his name David, David Lafuente La yeah, yeah I thought was, the art was good but I, I mean yeah, I didn't like the, story. the art was good in a lot of these like I think the art was a real the uh, Red Tornado one I think is the only one that nobody's mentioned so far. But yeah, I mean, it was really cool. There's, there's like eight we haven't mentioned so far. So I, I, I like I counted really fast. There's ten stories in here. Hmm. I really, really liked four of them. That's a terrible batting average. So I, I really liked the first. Yeah, that one. the the blue uh, The blue beetle and booster gold one that is was so stupid. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, because those are the two characters that would do something that stupid. <laughs> uh, uh, I really, really, really liked the Superboy uh, and Legion of Superheroes one. Really, the art was the art was fantastic, and yeah. just the conceit of the alien falling in love in Superman's robot body is so f- fun. And then the end. Um, oh, there's- oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. 
I really liked um, the Robot Man one, which you mentioned, by Greg Smallwood and uh, Max Bemis. Yeah. And I... Yeah, the, the Apollo Midnighter one was pretty good, but it wasn't in my top four. The, the other one was the first one, Karina Becco and Gabriel Hartman. I'll, I'll watch them do, like, a phone book narration. I love their art style and, and writing. Okay. So, like, it was a stupid story, but I loved looking at it. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even get anything out of the art. Like, you, generally, I like Gabriel Hardman, but the, the art on that one didn't really move me. I think uh, the best-looking one is either David LaFuente or the Marguerite Sauvage. Which one was that? that? That was actually the Harley Quinn one. The Harley Quinn one. one looked great. Her art style is wonderful. Um, but again, uh, the story. Oh, actually, you know what? <laughs> I, one part actually made me laugh out loud, and that was the cannoli truck. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's. It's a hot summer treat, but everyone is leaking cannoli everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is funny. Uh, um, I, I love. Like, I loved the. Uh, the uh, the Nicholas Scott art, especially because I've been reading um, Black Magic, and I just I'm now I'm fully in love with Nicola Scott, even though I kind of liked her before. That's the metal um, man. Yeah, hated the story. I thought it was the dumbest thing. The monster was, riot, like yeah, thread. because they were watching their they were watching their favorite anime, and they decided to become like they yeah. got brainwashed into becoming an anime monster, and just so happens Wonder Woman's there. It was very it was very slight. I didn't like it, uh, well, but the art was just yeah. great. I, I think this is uh, probably the first special book that I've ever seen that has a like a hook, like a, the cybernetic summer thing. You know what I mean? Whereas, I mean, we've seen like holiday specials in that, uh, right? Yeah. But one that they just for no reason like it's not like everyone's like ah school's out time for cyborg parts during the summer. right? Right. Um, They've been doing a summer special for a while. I think they just decided to make this one robots. robots. It's like that song. Um, school's out for cyborgs. cyborgs. Yeah. Now, now that now that you sing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just right. needed you to. I needed you to start the lyric, and I would have just immediately. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy it, and partially because I was like, I, so I read it real late last night, and I was falling asleep, but. Um, I guess I, I was like, eh, how's this going to go? And then I was like, oh, it was just like little, little short stories, uh, some more than others. This, um, did, did you guys get a Mike Allred feel from the Red Tornado uh, story? On- I, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I enjoyed that. But uh, yeah. I, I forgot that Red Tornado had a family. He does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you guys are so. I mean, you haven't. It's been a while. We haven't been invited to the barbecues. That's the next yeah. uh, summer special. Red tornado barbecues. Um, no, they do. It was not recent either. Um, I remember in Brad Meltzer's run, I think that was referenced, and so like as something that was already the case. It was so. Vision had a family, and Red Tornado had just just previously gotten a family. Um, and it was another one of those like cross company coincidences to to mess with the close. So on the screen, Randy <laughs> has said your closed captioning is making this even funnier, which is a feature on on YouTube. You could they attempt to do closed captioning. Can we just do gibberish for like twenty seconds to make it just explode? Like skip it, but it's 
Okay, so you got you you guys mentioned, or uh, I think it was Len that mentioned books like these are kind of almost just like a staging ground. Like, hey, writers, uh, we're going to commission you to try some stuff, and if we like it or if it's popular, then maybe we'll give you larger stuff, right? That's usually what these kind of books are. Like, it's it's um. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's anchored by two or three names, but then it's a lot of like little stories. Mm -hmm. I will look up Liz Erickson and Nick Ferrelli, the, the two that did the the Legion of Superheroes mm. uh, Superboy book. That because was so fun and silver agey. Yeah, yeah, and, and, but it was just it was what was it like eight pages, and it was incredibly complete. It was super satisfying. Like it was a perfect little story. I would like to see either this writer or artist do something else too. I really like the, no, the yeah. Apollo and Midlife, Midnighter one. Um, the yeah. fact that, um, what's his name? Uh, right. the, the monkey. Monsieur Mala. Ma, ma, Monsieur Mala. Yeah. yeah. And the brain, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I never realized yeah. that they were like an item. That's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. Is There's that new? Is that for this story? Or they've oh. always been like, I love you. I don't know about I, always, but it's been a while. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's ever been hit on as hard on the nose as it was with this one. But I think it's kind of like been like subtext. Oh, you know what? They are a Doom Patrol villain pair. And Grant yes. Morrison wrote Doom Patrol for a while. And I had I would bet money on not a lot, but that Grant Morrison is the one that introduced them being a couple. It's real cute. But yeah. I didn't know who they were. Oh yeah. yeah oh. It was cute. Yeah. yeah, I like the line at the end, the world's finest couple, since they are obviously Superman and Batman, you know. I did like that. I yeah. like that. Yeah. I'm always a sucker for when superheroes uh, are out of their superhero outfits, but then they still somehow reflect their, their costume. Yeah, me too. Them Apollo and Midnight or Speedos. So you love the Marvel swimsuit? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love, I, I really would love them to do more with these two characters. Like, um, I, yes. early, earlier this year, I, I read the Grayson run from New 52 or Rebirth, New 52. I don't even know. Um, where Midnighter was actually a foil for half of the for a good chunk of the book, oh, so DC was doing stuff with with the two characters, and then like oh, Apollo kind of showed up for a hot second. Hmm. But it seems like they just don't haven't figured out what they want to do or or anything that's consistent. Um, but I like I love see I didn't love this story, but I just love seeing them. Mm -hmm. Oh, also too, yeah. I had read the Wild Storm earlier this year, really? and they are a prominent part of the the second half of that. Right, right. Yeah. I, I love these characters. They're just never anywhere. I know. We, reading this made me want to go back and pull out my authority. Uh, yeah. Absolute to to uh, see early Brian Hitch um, drawing them. Um, Less rubbery. I, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good Hitch, man. Um, he was still trying to ape uh, Alan Davis a little bit. Mm. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I, I like the story. I like some of the stories. The Legion story definitely like struck mm. a, uh, a you know uh, hit me in my feels because I'm a Legion guy. Um, and just having the, like this summer book, like you know, Noel said they've been doing summer books for years. In DC and you know, JD may remember there was a time in the '80s and '90s when they were doing summer book. All the comic book companies were doing summer books. This actually made me remember, and I just went to go look it up. I remember Art Adams got his big start doing Gumby 
uh, specials, one for the summer and then one for the winter. Um, and they were just big, dumb, fun, uh, absurd books. And, and back when he did them, people had lost track of Gumby as well. They they, they thought it was going to be Eddie Murphy running around in this joint, but it was, it was the actual Gumby. It was actual Gumby and Pokey, and it was fun. It was a whole lot of fun. And then it made me remember you, uh, Brian, bringing up Allred, mm. his first comic book, the book that put him on the mat, Madman. Mm. Um, he one time did a summer special with Madman, which was a crossover with Superman. And it was mm. Madman meets Superman with, with Mike Allred art. And it was Ooh. dumb fun. That's I think there's like three pages of them just sitting on a ledge just having a conversation. It was dumb, crazy fun, man. That's what summer fun, summer fun comic books were about. Um, and then you, Noel, just to keep it in the family, I hit everybody, brought up about, you know, um, no, it was actually JD about the ba- the bathing suits. You're out. That, were, that reminded me of my favorite comic book magazine ever that is sadly no longer with us, Amazing Heroes Ooh. from the 80s, early 90s, and they started the tradition of doing a annual swimsuit edition really? where they would have artists yeah. from all over, independents, the, the, all the best Marvel and DC artists, and they would draw pinups of characters in swimsuits, and they would do this Every single year. They must have did it for at least a good five, six streets. There's a, there's a, they, they use them for memes now. Cause I remember like mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. Oh, like it's, it's easy to sh- like, of course you've seen like cheesecake pinups of literally every female character in comic books, but they were like, they did have it. They made an effort to also feature the male characters. Yep. So you've got like Cyclops and a Speedo kind yeah. of stuff. But yeah. the one that I think is the most popular, at least memed is, um, Wolverine with his claws eating a sausage like at a mm-hmm. barbecue and he's like shirtless <laughs> with cutoffs and it's awesome just look it up it's freaking hilarious it's like a painted style almost I mean he probably would do that right like if he was but just in his life in between the panels yeah, it's so wildly suggestive too just yeah. like on his claws eating like a giant sausage oh I didn't get that part yeah. oh Brian you're so pure oh, oh goodness <laughs> <laughs> they, knew, they knew the X-Men were thirsty before uh, before Hickman. Mm. Yeah, they were all throubles before Hickman. Goodness you know, great. We talked about it. Uh, let's move on to Empire number three. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. Carl Carlos does say that oh, was yeah. a Grant Morrison thing. He made them a couple. That's a total Grant Morrison thing, for sure. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Empire number three by Al Ewing and Dan Slott with art by Valer- Valerio Sheedy. The tag team action comes out. What? Oh, my. <laughs> Talk about thirsty. Um, Thruples, the tag team action comes out. <laughs> Wakanda is the battleground as the Avengers and the FF unite to prevent a vibranium-powered threat to all life as we know it. A long-lost Avenger returns to active duty, but will that be enough to turn the tide? And in space, interstellar intrigue threatens the fragile Kree-Scroll alliance and the repercussions may just doom planet Earth. Oh, shit. Ah! Oh, no! <laughs> I have a question. Uh, yeah. Um, this, the mantis that birthed Qua, or Koi? Koi. I call him Koi. 
with Swordsman. Is that the same Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy that ticked and stuff? Well, it's the that is the movie version of this Mantis. No, 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 no. The comic book version, the Dan Abnett and and Andy Landing version of her being psychic and stuff. Not the, not that. Okay. Yeah, same one. All right. Like, because this one doesn't read anything like that one. Like, that one was uh, more of like, um, this one reads a lot older, a lot maternal. And yeah, I feel yeah. like that character has just been like de-aged yeah. and aged a couple of times, just off panel. Yeah. And that's, and that's, okay. and I think that's what's what's happened because this one definitely does read like the classic Mantis from yeah. the seventies, who would have this more maternal, aged uh, um, uh, feel to her. And that's exactly how she read she read to me. I knew that they are kind of like reintroduced her in the comics. I didn't really know what had been done with her, but I knew they reintroduced the, the character. Yeah. Um, but this this read like that Mantis com- coming back. I never read those old school Avengers, which which I know that this is just an event steeped in mm. old school Avengers. So I like I had no relation to this character. I just knew her as like the quirky psychic, a part of Guardians of the Galaxy oh. in the early 2000s. Yeah, I yeah. only know her from the movie, to be honest. Uh, well, well, then don't get me wrong; she's not the deepest of characters, um, but she w- she's not what the movies and it doesn't sound like what her reboot really portrayed her. She was a, a lot more of a, um, a, a much more you know spiritually inclined, um, but definitely no no joke, no you know yeah would not suffer any fools, um, held her own as a member of the Avengers for actually to be, to be honest, as, as, as big as her legend is, it really wasn't that long that <laughs> she was in the team, but, um, she, she more thought this is more aligned with what, how she was depicted a more thought. Cool. I, I like, I liked it. I just wasn't sure. Cause like, I did think for a couple minutes, and I'm sorry for sidetracking how we actually thought about the book, but I did think for a couple minutes, is this the same Mantis or just the same name of a different character? Because that does happen in comics all the time. Yeah. So yeah. I thought maybe it was a different character, but I guess not. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what did you guys think of this issue? I thought it, it was fun. It felt, I, a little, it felt a little like it plateaued a little bit for me in this issue. It felt like an in-between issue. Not too much happens. There's a reveal at the end that meant nothing to me. Um, well, she's the oh yeah that thing that reveal yeah that was, yeah I thought that was interesting I had forgotten that um, Teddy was the son of the the emperor's call I had no idea that his grandmother yeah. was not good but um, you know I thought that that was a an interesting turn the, I think the dynamics of the like the Kotati instigator being led by his father and his hero mother is going to try to save him. And Teddy, the hero with the villainous grandmother, like that could lead to some interesting parallels and storytelling, you know? So you remember what was it a week ago or two weeks ago where it was like, we don't want to spoil the Hulkling Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. It was revealed in that issue that this accuser later or pursuer was, Mm -hmm. Not on the level and pretty shit. Ah, right. Yeah, right. I remember. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she she set up a whole thing to kind of separate. She set up like a whole sting to to separate Teddy from hmm. 
Wiccan. I forget his name. Yeah, Wiccan. Yeah, Wiccan. Yeah. I don't remember his real name. I mean, his real name. Yeah. No. Yeah, Wiccan. Um, uh, with like a, and then it's revealed that she kind of she did it all because she wants to discredit and dismantle the king and but. But this is where we find out that she's actually a scroll, which we didn't know that at all. Interesting. Um, right. It's cool. I mean, we. They've all been sketchy, just like how in the very first issue of all this, or the Avengers issue, the pre-issue <laughs> that wasn't the first issue, <laughs> everyone is so specific and like really kind of sketchy because they're all so wonderful. It's just like, well, yeah, shit, they're not good. Okay, <laughs> like it's it's uh it's super on the nose, and it's like okay, it's fine. What's next? It's nice that it's coming out once a week. I think is yeah. like. Yeah, it really keeps you going, you know, which won't matter in trades at all. But right now, you know, it's cool. Yeah, um, this, is a, this is a pretty good way to do a mid-sized level event. Um, yeah, yeah. Just get, pump them all out and then get it's over. Yeah. I, I, I wonder how this, – this would be interesting to know in hindsight how COVID affected this one. Because it was supposed to – it was yeah. supposed to be a lot bigger. It was supposed to not be weekly. It was supposed mm. to ha- – um, have more tie-ins and then it was just all kind of like they caught up but then truncated it so i wonder i wonder how much fatigue we'd have by now if this was actually like on a normal schedule because you're right great it's fun it's fun but this is like this doesn't feel like enough of a meal to be monthly because the same thing keeps kind of happening yeah that's what i mean like even in this issue it's mostly chit chat Yeah. yeah Um, it was interesting chit chat. I don't want to poo poo chits and chats, but um, it's not like there was a lot going on in the issue. Oh, uh, can I share an interesting tidbit about how Wakanda kind of? Oh, sorry, one for and one against. Tiebreaker. <laughs> uh Interesting sort of parallels in the real world with Wakanda. You know where they get their source of power is this millions of years ago uh vibranium meteor and they and they built there and that factors into the story um but egypt also had a similar thing um i was reading up on it a little bit last night to clarify my memory and it wasn't quite as uh society changing maybe but they had access to iron uh before we were able to smelt iron from meteorites and they called iron the like the space rock or something like that mm-hmm. and so they had like iron beads and whatever were highly associated with their royalty and i have heard elsewhere that it like they were able to do uh sort of more practical things with it and i wasn't able to verify that last night but it, you know i think it's an interesting and cool parallel i don't think Stanley maybe knew about that but uh no you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like I do like the the reveal that so plant based the most nutrient rich anything or soil in the entire world is Wakanda which I think yeah. is really cool that was yeah. so like yeah, yeah I, like- I, I really really like that mm-hmm. I, that was smart. I think the reason why this feels like a like a a meanwhile episode yeah. uh, um, book which which is what it it does feel like is because even though it's not as many tie-ins as they were planning, there are still other tie-ins that you are yeah. reading. So th- they've got to patch that together. So it's yeah. almost like, you know, each tie-in uh, has a week where you can be the big one. 
And the other ones will kind of like just like, you know, just we'll just, just uh, tell a story. And it's like, but uh, this week, the the Fantastic Four one will be that'll be the big that'll be the big action piece. And then next week, you know, and then it'll roll around to when yeah. it rolls around back to the main issue. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like this. So I, I did some Thunder Rounds earlier this week on two of the Empire tie-ins. One of them was perfect because it was just a normal issue of the book that mm-hmm. had like a little bit to do with you almost didn't need to know. And the other one was so inconsequential and stupid. Like we're talking two characters happen to be in the same place at the same time and something happens. What do we do? Like it was really <laughs> terrible. And, and that, that whole thing of like, you know, like how you do a tie in well and how you do it awfully. Like it, mm. it's it it really does like strain the impact of these events. Uh, but I mean, that being said, I'm still enjoying the crossover. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, what's up next? I'll tell you in a second. Oh, all right, it's Wonder Woman number seven hundred and fifty-nine, written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Mikhail Janin. It's a brand new day for Wonder Woman as Diana starts to pick up the pieces of her life following the battle with the Four Horsemen and her run-in with the Phantom Stranger. Man's world has become more complicated to navigate than ever before. It seems everyone has a take on who Wonder Woman should be. Some who look on her heroics with admiration, and some who lie in wait to seek revenge. Mm. Familial threat is watching. Da- no, wait. A familiar, not familial. Familiar <laughs> threat is watching Diana's every move, and now is the perfect time to strike. Mm. This is the first Wonder Woman issue that I have enjoyed since Brian Azzarello's run. Mm. <laughs> I think. Uh, um, every yeah, time. Every time a new creative team comes on, I'm always like, all right, here we go. I'm going to be a Wonder Woman fan. Take, take me with you. Let's go. And uh, I get about an issue or two into it, and I go, ah, nope, still don't care. Even Greg Rucka, still don't care. Uh, so, yeah, I think this is the first one that I've actually enjoyed. Noel, what were you going to say? Uh, this is Wonder Woman number one. This yeah. is this is the first issue. Don't don't worry about the number. Just jump in. If you've ever cared at all, this, this is a great first issue. Awesome, just awesome, awesome. Yeah, it, it it is. But for a minute there, I wasn't sure if this was Wonder Woman uh, or we were reading the many adventures of Donna Troy because he, he does draw, draw a very youthful looking Wonder yeah. Woman. Um, but that being said, uh, I enjoy I enjoy the the issue. I think primarily because of the art. I thought the art is spectacular. Yeah. It is beautiful. I think, and I think it is the first time, probably since, be, because Cliff Chang drew, drew the Brian Azzarello run, and that was good art. But Cliff has a very distinct style, mm. and this is the first. I think um, this is the first time that I felt like Wonder Woman was given a style that matches the style of the comic books that are popular today. What's with the face? Oh, I'm looking at Christopher's Oh. What? Oh, I, th- I thought you were I thought you were complaining about Yeah, I thought you were I thought you were complaining about Cliff Chang cuz like Cliff Chang no. does have a very eccentric unique style. I love Cliff Chang. Give me Cliff Chang all day, baby. No, was, and I'm okay. and I'm not I'm not knocking it, but I think he does have a a singular style. You okay. know, so either you like him or you don't. Whereas no, I'm sorry. To- I was I tuned out because Christopher St. Saucy said something bad. 
well, then, see that. See, all right. That's my fault. All right, all right. Context, explain. JD, after class, me and you are going to have a podcasting class. So anyway, <laughs> um, I I just think that I, I enjoyed the artwork. The storytelling was um, simple enough that it gave you enough of enough background of what happened before that you could be invested in what is happening now without getting lost in the details. You could definitely get lost. You could get yeah. lost in the weeds between the whole her and Maxwell Maxwell Lord things, but they don't. They'll probably fill in some more of the gaps as it goes along because maybe you've heard the name and Max Lord, or maybe you didn't hear of him since the Justice League and he was a good guy, or maybe you heard of him since then he was a bad guy. You don't know where he is. So, um, I that that scene right there. I mean, that really? is that is perfect. You've never seen Wonder Woman depicted so graphically with her powers being with being displayed without it being like, you know, uh, some overpower stuff. No, she is just all that. It's in, in th- I mean, look yeah. at that. Yeah. Look like at that. It's, it's beautiful. More that, than, that scene. More than that, too, the very beginning of that scene, it's it's a small panel where she decides to go chase the car. It's mm-hmm. in the background. She's removing her heels. Yes, yeah. I saw that. Yes. It's so like, wonderfully it's, done. It's, it's just, it's really cool. Like she's, she is the, the essence of practicality and action. And it's just awesome. Yeah. Like uh, it's, um, little Tarantino shot there for you. Yeah. <laughs> There's um, some like anecdotally, something I thought was really interesting about this. And I like, they're not connected, but they are. So I, I just recently listened to um, Greg Rucka's recent word balloon. And they talked about, um, he talked about what he perceives as a problem that DC has right now, just like a really weird gritification or or darkening of a lot of the characters and a lot of the plots of the characters because they're, they're like, you know, they're, they're hope and legacy based. Hmm. So he talked about how he's still incredibly sour about being removed, straight up fired from the Wonder Woman book post-Infinite Crisis. Yep. Because he made that choice for Wonder Woman to kill Max Lord as a turning point and a giant problem, not the start of a new status quo where we start to accept and 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 uh, and you know rationalize murder. I'll <laughs> tell you, it, I'll... like I love that they're introduced. So what I like, and I looked at some of the solicits going forward. It seems as though they're introducing Max Lord not as a baddie but an ongoing part of this book uh, mm. a sense of reform that she is going to have to continue to deal with mm. which I like after listening to that interview and then reading this book I was just like oh that's something that no one's doing and it just seems so great and the fact that it's Mariko Tamaki is just awesome um, I the, with regard to Wonder Woman breaking his neck uh, I thought that that was part of the lead up to um Infinity uh, Crisis. Infinite Crisis. Infinite Crisis, yeah. yeah. So, like, all of these characters were making these reprehensible decisions, and that is what actually instigates the beginning of the Infinite Crisis with the, right, right. You know, the Silver Age characters coming back and being like, we sacrificed ourselves for this shit? Yeah. Yeah. And they did deal with that. Like, there were ramifications for a while of it being like, eh, was that the right call, Diana? You know, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah but... It, it didn't la- like it wasn't a the other side of that conversation was one that 
he didn't get to explore yeah. and he's still sour about it because it was wildly popular. And now, less than 20 years later, it's literally Superman ripping necks off. And, uh, and, uh, it, it, like, it's, it's a part of the, well, I mean, he just, like, he broke Zod's neck, just in general. Like, it's, 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 uh, the, uh, the rationalization of extreme violence, no matter how altruistic the character is. And I would really love for this to be almost like a shadow response to that or another way by a hopeful writer. Because that's what the character is supposed to be. I definitely did wonder, like, oh, is this... Uh, did you, you know, wonder? I wondered it, woman. <laughs> uh, I, I have wondered if they were like, oh, this is how she's not Superman, right? She's a warrior, because they definitely have leaned into that. Uh, you yeah. know, like, she's not Superman because she comes from this warrior, you know, right? Yeah. Um, it, but also, uh, segue into, in case you guys didn't know... She can talk to animals. Were you guys aware of that? I forgot that. Yeah, yeah, that is one, or maybe just everyone, including animals. I'm not sure exactly what uh, the definitions of that power are, but that's a, you know, for them to bring that in in this with also have the Maxwell Lord stuff, it's a very uh, pure, wholesome thing to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I, I like this, yeah. Oh, this is great, but talking about violence. Yeah. She so she crashes through a window, smash. Yeah, lands in a group of people with a shield and a sword. Yeah, and then continues to slice at people with her sword. That's true. Which isn't that just murder too? Well, I'm I mean, very good I, with the sword. I'm sure it's fine. There's a, there's a there's a there's a narrative difference between fighting a whore, defending yourself versus having a person tied up and snapping their neck. Having well, a person in capacity. Ted Cord, who is... No, I know, and I'm talking about the difference. Able to take people's brains and make them... And murder. was doing that to Superman at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, the only way to stop him... Did I say Ted Cord? You did. Max Lord. Yeah. What's his name? Max Lord. Max Lord, Max Lord. Max Lord sorry. Uh, Maxwell Lord. Um... Yeah, that was the only way to stop him from having Superman murder everybody, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah knocking him out. Been, like, worming his way into Superman's mind for years, yeah. as it turned out. Yeah. Uh, and, like, oh, knock him out, though? Kabong him. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> either, yeah, either way. No matter, no matter. Gone, it would be fine. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, the writer that did it had a specific context yeah. for it and made sense in the moment, and it was arguable. But it turned into a, a turning point for a yeah. lot of other weird shit to go darker in the DC universe, yeah. despite a lot of other people's like pushing. Which yeah. I, and and I feel like this is a spiritual response to that from a very hopeful and empathetic writer. That's if you've awesome. ever read. Uh, Lauren D keeps breaking up with me, and and um, uh, the other thing I read of hers, Harley Quinn, uh, Breaking Glass. Like she's a very empathetic writer, and I love the fact that she's like tuning in on it for Wonder Woman. Yeah, as soon as I saw her name was attached to this, I went, "Oh, I'm going to check this out." I mean, yeah. that's what that's the quality that you need in Wonder Woman yeah. at all. Oh, also, her costume is great. I like this new this new costume. I'm glad that the bracers aren't gold like they are on the cover, but. Um, it looks cool. I like what they've done with the boots. You know, Wonder Woman's costume has a lot going on, and this streamlines it just a little bit. But it, I always love when they do the Greek 
uh, warrior skirt with her. I think that's like the best. Um, that's the best like bottom half of her of her costume for me. Yeah, I've never I've never been a fan of like the flag. I, I always really liked the the warrior skirt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in defense of your your um, read, JD, about the the scene where she is swiping at the guys, if you really pay attention to the choreography of that, um, don't get me wrong. She probably shouldn't be there with the sword out in her hand. <laughs> but who knows? The writer may have said, you know, I want a sword in her hand. You know, she's ready for any she's ready for everything that may may happen. You know, she doesn't know what she's jumping into. But if you really look at the choreography of that of, of that scene, she actually is kicking and hitting these guys, sometimes with the hilt of the sword, so much so that when Max Lord does come in, the guys are still there. They're still standing. That's true. So, Nobody's on the ground. Right. Yeah, so, they're... they're... Uh, sorry, go ahead. You know, so it's not like she's swiping at them and stabbing them and, and, and killing them. She's true. fighting She's fighting them um, and then Max Lord actually makes them stop with you know whatever he does. It makes them double over. Yeah. I presume he's controlling them in general. Right. Yeah, oh, their right. their eyes are glowy. Yeah, yeah but you know what that means. That means they're in, they're possessed. Yeah, in this case, yes. So in so that defense, she eye. is. <laughs> she, you know, she's she's not. She's she's still upholding her values. Hmm. In that scene, that's all. I'm this saying. was a great book. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. All of this nitpicking aside, this was awesome. I really am excited yeah. to be reading Wonder Woman. So, yeah. finally. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I had mentioned in the chat, too. I think this is one of my favorite things this week. Yeah. This was wonderful. Um, what's up next? It is... X-Factor. Oh, another one of my favorite things from this week. X-Factor number one from Leah Thompson and David Baldian. Mutants have conquered death. By the grace of the five, the resurrection protocols can bring back any fallen mutant, but... Such a huge enterprise isn't without its problems and complications. When a mutant dies, X-Factor is there to investigate how and why to keep the rules of reincarnation. This was fun. I had no interest in a, another X-Book. Uh, <laughs> I had had my fill of new X-Men titles. But that being said, I really enjoyed this. I think the characterization had a lot to do with it. The fact that um, basically, they are a um, murder investigation team, like a murder mystery team. Uh, speaks to me a little bit. I think that's kind of cool. I, I like reading murder mystery stories, but it's really the the way the characters are written here. Um, I never, I really, when Dakin was introduced, the son of Wolverine, yeah. I just thought he was such an edge lord <laughs> kind of character, and I had no interest in him. Uh, and the, what they've sort of what he has evolved into here, I, I find him charming and, and kind of fun to watch. Um, and uh, I don't know much about iBoy, but he disturbs me. So that I liked, I liked uh, his intro where he was gluing googly eyes onto his shoes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think this was a really fun first issue. Uh, what did you think, Glenn? Oh, I thought we, should, I thought we were going to go to Brian. Uh, yeah. You know, for I, some, I was expecting it, but it, <laughs> I'll go what next. Part? <laughs> um, I want to hear what Brian thought of the book. Oh, he didn't read it. He didn't read it. He didn't read it. Len, after this, we're going to have a... Oh, no, I did read it. I did read it. No, I read it. I read it. No, okay, okay, okay. I'll go. I'll go. Yes, it's, it's a fun book. It's a fun little mystery book. 
Um, uh, you know, they they got their they're kind of like the the they even like they're like the murder. What's 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 it called? Um, the mystery machine. They're like the mystery machine bunch. Like they even have their own Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo. Yeah, they do have their own Scooby Doo. They got their own Scooby Doo, right? (laughs) So, um, I mean, it was fun. Again, and and this is a very it's a very nitpicky thing. I just hate the the, the lettering. I just do not like the lettering on on oh. these X Men books. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, and for for whatever reason, it takes me out. And I know they they purposefully keep the lettering the same on all of the X Men books, so that kind of mm-hmm. like pieces them all together. It is, it is an ultimate uh, ultimate universe kind of lettering. It's yeah. all like lowercase kind of yeah uh, lowercase and, italics yeah. And yeah. I and I don't think that that lettering matched the vibe of the book, mm-hmm. and I think that's why it t- it takes me out of it. Um, but overall, this this was fun. These were characters, to be honest. I know very little about most of them, and the ones that I know the most about, I go back to the '80s and '90s. So who knows who they are now? Like, <laughs> it was nice to see that um, uh, North Star is still a douche. So I mean, I that that was cool. All right, I got that one. Yay! And his sister is still, you know, very like mysterious. So much so that they don't even show her face in the book. So I'm like, I like, all right, cool. That's right, dope. Um, their hair is black now, but uh, okay, oh, whatever. Um, oh, I guess their hair was always black. It just had white highlights when I remember. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, it was fun. It was a fun little book. Uh, it was a little long for me. It was almost like, you know, like I, they could have excised like about 10 pages out of this, I yeah. thought. But for it to be the intro of them into this world, and if this is going to be a team that goes off and, you know, fights mysteries, then I'm with it. They did something with Polaris. I didn't care about Polaris, but he finally did something with her. And like, you know, she's the she's the uh she's the Fred of the bunch. Um so I'm 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 with it, you know? Um it was cool. It was, it was fun. It was dumb dumb silly like fun. Polar I don't know much about Polaris either. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like uh Leah not Leah Thompson. Yeah, Leah Thompson is, is ready to do some work on her um, and maybe do some exploring about her character because she even said she's having a conversation with her father, Magneto, and he's, he doesn't understand why she doesn't want to be the leader of this team. And she goes, Father, if you had to describe my personality, what would you say? And so Magneto just kind of glosses over. <laughs> um, so I like that. And he's like, yeah, she's, I, I, didn't, I don't really know how to answer that question either. So I have to figure that out. And I, I like that we're going to be exploring that character and maybe sort of defining her for moving forward. Um, also, talking about the Thirsty X-Men. The Boneyard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're calling it the Boneyard, their new, yeah. uh, their new building. Which yeah, is- they are. They're all, they're all sassy and sexy. Like, yeah. it's all about, like, flirting and, and pushing and prodding. And, and make, you know what? It's a... It's, uh, Almost all of these characters have that tactic of, of making, um, tactically making you uncomfortable with their, mm-hmm. with sexuality or sexual situations, which gets them what they want, which is really cool. The best scene of that is Dokken, um flirting with that hotel yeah, yeah. manager. Yeah. That and was it's, it's hilarious and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked this because it, it was really fun and breezy, but it also reminded me of like they they brought back the X Factor investigations aspect of it all. Like I had wondered when I saw that this book was being 
announced, I had wondered what they were going to do because the whole idea of that, that that was a noir. That was a uh, private investigators that were also mutants that handled mutant cases. But now the you've Peter got this David. situation where they're all, huh? The Peter David, uh, the Madrox stuff. Yeah. Talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now you've got the situation where they're all living on an island that's tropical and are, mm-hmm. you know, essentially gods among men. So it was very weird where they would fit that in. But then the idea of resurrection is so complex and complicated that they need to identify bodies mm-hmm. and confirm deaths and having cases based off of the whereabouts of uh, like missing persons. I just thought it was a really, really cool idea of being able to like mm-hmm. slot that tone into this new status quo of we all own an island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as cool. much as, yeah. and as much as this is all like Shangri-La here on Krakoa and everything like that, um, you know, there has to be an order besides the quiet, the quiet council. There, you, yeah. there has to be some type of form of structure so yeah. that things can uh, run properly. Otherwise, it's just going to be mutants of muck on here. And yeah. I and, and I also appreciated that that was coming from other voices on the island as opposed to the X Men. You know, mm-hmm. being being the leaders uh, of saying that. You know, this was these people who were charged with. Um, with the resurrections, they're all, at least from what I can tell, youthful looking, and they all are like, hey, we want to do this. We're not slacking at this, but yo, we got things, it's got to be done in an orderly fashion, otherwise it's just going to be chaos, and we're trying to stop the chaos right now. I like that. I like that part of the story. It was good. Yeah, yeah, I did... uh... I do miss Madrox a little. Just, I love that run. You know, the uh, X-Factor investigations. And I was like, wait, there's an X-Factor? And no Madrox? What's this? But, uh, you know, that being said, uh, conversely, I was very happy that uh, David got, I forget his superhero name, but that he got his powers back. It's a very minor X-Men character. Prodigy. Prodigy, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I always liked him in... I forget even the book that he was in. Generation X, maybe? Young uh, Avengers. He was he was in Young Avengers for a, a like he's a current cast member in Young Avengers. Oh really? But like back yeah. so before he lost yeah. his powers in House of M and he was part of a <laughs> part of a book at that time. And he was one of the ones that I was like the most upset about with House of M. And uh you know, so yes. What is his power? He has so it was interesting too, because he kept some of it. He had the ability to absorb people's like expertise. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, and then so he lost his powers. He was still an expert in like a ton of stuff yeah. because he had done that. So he wasn't like out of the game completely. Yeah. But um, you know, I was like, oh, sweet. He's got his he's got his powers back. I always like it when people get their powers back uh, because yeah. I have powers. <laughs> so <laughs> I, he was really excited whenever people get their groove back. Yeah. Stella or anyone yeah. doesn't matter. Oh, and Stella can do it. you guys want to see something? Oh, say you remember the thing that Lorna like sits down in at yeah. the end? What is that? Check this out. Okay. All right, not right now because I'm not on screen, but soon. Uh huh. I'm waiting. Yeah, it's bismuth, right? This is yeah. uh, this is the molecular form of bismuth that, as I understand it, they like. It's liquid, and they they freeze it. They put it into a solid very quickly, and that causes it to like jump into its molecular form on a macroscopic scale, so that we can see it, you know, in our world. Hmm. Um, 
And uh, that is what it reminded me of anyway. Are you guys getting a good good look at that's this? That's cool. It doesn't yeah. look particularly comfortable. Uh, well, that's I, mean, I was thinking. Uh, she's got like a dish part of it. I was like, eh, I don't know that I would want to lay down on this. <laughs> Kind of looks like a like a sci-fi pyramid of ancient times yeah. kind of thing, you know, very jagged. But uh, hey, whatever is whatever is necessary for her aesthetics. Hey, she's she manipulates ore and metal. She made it as smooth and comfy as she yeah. needs to. If it's if it like heck, we don't even know. She could have it be like half liquid, half hard, and just like a waterbed at all times. You know, that's an excellent point, though. Like that stuff you get at uh, that toy store from. I, what, what do you squeeze it and it becomes hard? What's that? That's oh, is a bit of if I know. That's, can, can you see her? Yeah. Steven uh, Universe. Yeah, from Steven Universe. That's the bismuth I know. That's my bismuth. Okay. I can see her symbol is like the bismuth that I know. Like it's I need you guys to mind your own business about this. <laughs> um, hey. Did anyone else read Pulp besides me and um, Noel? I read Pulp. I did oh. not. Oh, right. Cool. All right. So here we go. Pulp um, by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. My absolute favorite book of the week. Matt Winters, a pulp writer in 1930s New York, finds himself drawn into a story not unlike the tales he churns out at five cents a word. Tales of a Wild West outlaw dispensing justice with a six gun. But will Max be able to do the same when pursued by bank robbers, Nazi spies, and enemies from his past? I don't know. Maybe. Uh this was great. So this is a OGN from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, the people who bring you Criminal and Sleeper and The Fade Out and Fatal and all those other wonderful books. Um, I wasn't sure if this was going to be uh, – because what they've been doing is issues of Criminal will come out, and then they will release a hardcover of that story and will fool me, the retailer, into thinking it's a brand-new story. Uh, <laughs> And then I realized, oh, these are just a reprint. This is a collection of a criminal uh, storyline. Uh, but this is actually an OGN. And I was interested in reading it. But Noel's the really one who just just kept, just kept. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> guys, you don't understand. All week long, I've been like, hey, it's it's no longer than cybernetic summer. Hey, like, it's it's really, really good. And I really think that this person would like it. Oh, I'd love Len to hear, hear Len's thoughts. Like, all week long, I've been breaking these fools down trying to get them to read this because this was bar none the best thing i read this week so good across the board tell oh, us yeah. why tell us why um uh the first of all the plot was fantastic the idea of in the 1930s somebody writing pulp fiction uh western tales actually lived them and he's fictionalizing mm -hmm. them now because it's only 50 years he had the he had the um, displeasure of surviving. Yeah. So he's he's making money by fictionalizing his past, and because he's doing that, he's easily traceable by some others from his past, and it kind of it unwinds into this this uh, in order to not die penniless and take care of his loved ones, maybe pulling off a heist as a seventy something year old with a bad ticker in nineteen thirties, but then it. I thought that that was going to be the story. Yeah. But then it escalates yeah. into involving pre-World War II efforts in America. And I'm like, holy shit, this is spectacular. This was the coolest thing I've read. And the way that, like, if you if you know, I, I didn't want to necessarily spoil it, but yeah, it deals with Nazis. 
Um, if you, if you like Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips' work, nothing seems inherently special about this because they're they're a team that is so consistent with their effort that's like their excellent effort that it's almost very easy to just kind of oh yeah it's another criminal book that's fine oh it's another amazing comic by the same guys i mean you know what when you when you constantly have the same amazing meal you start to forget how amazing the meal is actually that happened with brubaker's uh Captain America run. After a while, people just stopped talking about it, but it's like, it's still really fucking great, guys. Yep. Um, this was easy to overlook, but it was easily the best thing I read this week because it was just so effective and so tight. I squeezed this in at 2 a.m. this morning. Um, it was time for bed, but I was like, you know what? I'm not really that tired, and mm-hmm. Noel just won't shut the... <laughs> about this book. Let me give it a shot. It looks pretty pretty, uh, pretty thin. And bo- Oh, man. Uh I just I stayed up until it was done and it was awesome. And then I went to bed and um well I was you know uh, I woke up Sushan a little bit and I was like this was look at this this is so cool this is so good and yeah what you were saying Noel earlier about um I felt like it just kept escalating yeah like I would think okay here's the story this is cool oh oh no this is this oh no this is the story oh that's cool mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. um it just it was like um the end of uh, the uh, Lord of the Rings, right? There was like nine endings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. That got from, this kept elevating. Um, yeah, I highly recommend this. Is definitely my favorite thing of the of the week. Who else read this? Who said that? Was that Noel or, or Len or Brian? It was me. It's me. And and as much as the story keeps escalating, what I like is that his characterization doesn't change. He he is still a seventy year old man with yeah. a bad heart. Right, um, who is moved by the situations that he is in, plus by the lessons that he has learned from his past to make the moves that he does. And I and I, I don't want to give it away uh, this story because it, this is a story that it's you're right. People should read. You should bring in. You should take it home, read it, set it down for a day or so go back and read it again because you will capture so many more things in this book um the 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 realness of his characterization um you will see the bs of the old west that has been told in the pulp stories and in yeah. hollywood of that day because the you know the book starts off in you know 1939 um you will it 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 i think that it is so smart to have this 70 year old dude you know having lived the old west you don't you you when you hear when you look at on like movies and read books and yeah. they say you know this this happened in 1885 1890 you don't realize how close that is to the 20th century yeah. right yeah. i mean so if so like if you were in your tw- 10s and 20s in the 19 1990 you are still very much a viable uh, adult in the 30s yeah. and the 40s, you know? Yeah. Um, so th- to take that walk through time with this character is just like so smart. Um, and two other things I will leave you with. One, 
this is the best issue of Sin City that never happened. Mm. That that's what this character is. Yeah. This is this this is for all the mocking that Frank or 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 bastardization that Frank Miller and some other artists have done of pulp detective novels in their comics. This is 21st century pulp comics film noir done perfectly. That's what Ed Brubaker and, and Sean Phillips have done with almost all of their work. But in this one, this is just because it is just this this moment in time and this one little story, it is perfect. It is yeah. spot it is spot on. And you know a book is great. When when I was reading this, I was like, all right, this is another book I wish I read digitally. You know what? It's so long. I'm only going to read 30 pages. That'll give me enough to be able to promote it. <laughs> and then I can say, like, yeah, I read it. I loved it. I can't How wait to read it. How did you read, Len? <laughs> I, I, I stuck with this book all the way to the end. And I'm so happy I did because you know a book is spot on when the best part of the book that you've been enjoying all night is the last page. Mm. The last page is so perfect in line with what has happened before. Mm. I was like, oh my God, this was beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Noel, for making us read this book. Jamming this down our throat. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, yeah. What is it? The last, the last line? It's not even a spoiler. Anyway, that's how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, this book is magic. Quick side note, I have a customer who comes in, Larry is his name, and he is a 72-year-old gentleman. Uh, he just celebrated his, his 72nd birthday. And he said something to me that is almost, almost line for line what is written here about being in your 70s. Um, and it was, I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, that's, that was one of the problems with getting older. You hit an age where everyone either ignores you or treats you like some hassle they're being forced to deal with. But inside, you still feel like the same person you were 30 or 40 years ago. You don't think of yourself as the man you see in the mirror. At least I didn't. And that is a conversation that Larry and I had two weeks ago where he mm -hmm. was talking about, you know, he's turning 72. It was his birthday. He was going to go get some uh, cookies specifically for his birthday. And I said, man, how's that feel? And he said that exact thing about like, you know, it's, it's a lot different than I thought it was going to be being this right. old. Um, I've heard that my uh, one of my grandmothers has said that, and I've heard it around, you know, like on the show Modern Family. I think they said that at one time, like, you know, most of the time you don't think of yourself as being old. You think of yourself as being your 30s. You know, you're that person. Um, I am definitely still in my 20s. Your body. What's that? <laughs> I said I am definitely still in my 20s for being 22. <laughs> yeah, adulthood is, is, uh, is the great lie. Like there's no... There's no, um, you get experience points, but <laughs> you don't, you don't have like, there's no like, um, specific stepped metamorphosis or metamorphoses to get to the next part. Like I didn't know I was an adult until it was blatantly obvious for like five or six years. Like, oh shit, I do all the adult things. Am I, I'm an adult now? Yeah. And no, then like, you know, same thing with 35, like, yeah. oh shit. I used to think I was old. 
<laughs> like my, my age was the old person and and I don't I don't feel old. Like it's right. just it's it's yeah. always like a, an afterthought of like, oh, I'm not different. You guys are. I always I, I remember this show that lasted like half a season. Jennifer Grey said she was in it as herself. Um, and huh. yeah, it was, it, was uh, a sitcom. it was in like the late 90s. That it was, it was a sitcom. It was like a self-aware yeah. sitcom. Yeah, 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 I remember that. And it, it was good. I liked it. And I, uh, one of the lines that she was like, you know, whatever age she was, she was like, you know, now that I'm now that I'm 39, I think back on how I was when I was like 37. And I'm like, what, what was I doing? What was I thinking? And then she's like, that seems to happen like every two years or so. And he's like, is that how it's going to be when I'm 82? And you're like, what a what a moron I was when I was 80. Like, <laughs> and that has always stuck with That's me. Funny. Yeah. Well, this was this. Original nose Jennifer Grey or new nose Jennifer Grey? New, new, new. late nineties. She was yeah, she was playing herself as as Jennifer Grey, who it was set in Hollywood, and she was like the the struggling artist or struggling the, actor. Yeah, the joke, the joke that she was unrecognizable for the most yeah. part. Right, right. That's what that's the, like the main joke. Yeah, I think one of the writers from Seinfeld was the main character. I believe. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, um, JD. Do you know how you know how <laughs> Batman has had a series of Robins over his career? Yeah. Is there anything that's not like that at all that would let people donate money to this show? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was by far your best. That Thank was you. wonderful. Uh, yeah, if you guys actually, you know what? Yeah. You can only do that once. You can only I ring know. that bell once. Oh, I know. So, yeah, that was good. <laughs> Uh, if anyone wants to help the show out, you can go to uh, by by not asking non sequitur questions. You can go to um, uh, patreon.com slash Johnny Destructo and uh, you can donate just like Kevin Brown did yesterday. Thank you, Kevin Brown, for donating. Uh, Adam Aiello. Um, Aiello? Aiello. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. Um, he also donated monthly. Thank you so much. And Alabama Whirly. Thank you so much for donating. Uh, if anyone else would like to follow suit, go to patreon.com slash Johnny Destructo and help us out. You can also just share, like, rate, whatever, all the, all the social media stuff. Just get on I, it. Um, like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. That, that stuff. Um, let's, let's, let's do uh, – yeah, Melly G says smooth. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you, Melly G. <laughs> Uh, which I almost read as smooth brain. Smooth brain. You had a phrase of like when you're talking about nope. people are like, oh, those smooth brains. There's no wrinkles. From memory. No memories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just no memories or wrinkles at all. It's just smooth brain. Uh, DL Pokes. <laughs> lol. Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, we always appreciate a good lol. Uh, let oh, I, I got rid of it. Let's talk about some gutter. Mm. Yeah, why don't you intro this portion of the show? Well, this portion of the show is where we uh, get into a little bit of gutter talk, talking about the bits and ends of the the comic book and pop culture scene. And if you don't know where the the word comes from, it comes from two places. One, it was another show that we used to do called Gutter Talk, and we kind of sandwiched them all together. Um, And two, the gutters are the white spaces that you find on the comic book page. Those are called the gutters. So we are talking all in around the, the comic book page. And we're starting with an email that we got from Christopher St. Saucy Good night. Yeah. Um, he has a question for you guys. What three unconnected movies 
would you put in a movie night? Usually on Saturday nights, I watch movies all night to maintain my sleep schedule. The week before last, it was a uh, a little movie marathon of Parent Trap, Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, and Freaky Friday, and Herbie Fully Loaded. So and- all, what's your face? Assuming the Parent Trap was the Lindsay Lohan one, which I... Uh- Oh, yeah, they're all Lindsay Lohan movies, yeah. Yeah, And the Herbie one, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, those movies are connected. (laughs) But last week, I watched Flight Plan, Red Eye, and some of Air Force One. The sound quality on Netflix was really bad, so I didn't quite finish it. Can you think of three movies with no or minimal connections that you would put in a movie night? And then I'll go to the next question. I, I, I caveat or um, wondering or caveat like he a movie night to be enjoyed or something to restfully kind of background noise because that's what he just described. So oh. <laughs> is this stuff that I want to fall asleep to that I'm comfortable with or is this like schedule a marathon? Hmm. Hmm, I don't know. I, because those I are would, two totally different things. Hmm. I will say I will say to enjoy like okay he puts it on to fall asleep to keep his sleep schedule but christopher says talks a good night he's a special guy so if i'm going to plan a movie marathon it's not to sleep it's to enjoy so what three movies would you put together to enjoy just as the way you're enjoying are uh the person that who has come on to the show and that's that guy right there uh Brandon. brandon Hi, everyone. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. We'll let you start, Brandon. So what three movies? No, because I... Okay. We we all just heard the question. We don't. I missed the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I'm about to repeat it. What three movies... Brian. (laughs) What What? three movies uh, with no or minimal connections would you put together uh, in a movie night? Um, about time. Hmm. The Dark Knight. Oh, and uh, uh, I can't think of a third one. I don't know. Uh, the musical. No, but that's those are all real. Hamilton. We'll say Hamilton. There you go. Right. Is, is there any type of loose connection, or or are you just naming three movies? They're kind of my three like favorite kind of things. Hmm. They also, there's a loose connection in that there's always like a romance element in them, sort of. But oh, the it. Dark Knight, it's very loose, obviously. <laughs> it, so. it is. Wait, is that about time the Justin Timberlake one, or there's another movie? No, no. Time, right? that that's in time. In time, that's right. That's about time. time is um, it's a British movie with uh, Rachel McAdams and Hux. From Star Wars, he's name oh, got uh, Donald Gleason, I believe. Yeah, that's a good movie. I just saw that recently. Very good. Movie. Everyone should watch it. Yeah, those are good picks. I would, I would enjoy that evening of, of filmed entertainment. Hmm. I wouldn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he would make it his business. <laughs> oh, only reason I wouldn't is because I would not like Dark Knight would have to be the last movie because I would yeah. fall asleep on on Dark Knight. <laughs> Dark Knight, not Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, Dark Knight. I would fall asleep on Dark Knight. What like the- after he captures the Joker, I don't need any more of the movie. 
Okay. It's a good. It's good. But I don't need any more of it. I would be. I would fall asleep, and I would be fighting to make it to him capturing the Joker. Well, especially after like <laughs> the Hamilton. <laughs> Which oh, I, Hamilton? I've watched it five times now, guys. It's great. Oh, see, I find the first half. Uh, after the first half, I'm like, I'm good. Really? Because I think I, I, think I the opposite. I was like, the first half, I was like, oh, this is really good. But I don't know why everybody is talking about it as much as they are. Uh-huh. And and then I mean there were elements of it that were awesome in the first act, but then the second act I was like, whoa, here we go, this is oh. what, yeah, <laughs> I really, yeah, Dark Knight Jefferson, no Hamilton, oh, Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. Dark Knight, God damn it, no, I mean I, uh, I think I have I think I have, um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I, I love that I just come back differently though, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would, I would, I have three that I would pick that are, that are not related. Um, the, uh, Little Shop of Horrors mm. film, the, the Rick Moranis musical. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, the original RoboCop. Oh, whoa. whoa. And, oh, um, shift. and George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Oh, jeez. Whoa, Jesus Christ. Are we friends? Right. Because, because they are all wonderful, effective, and incredibly intelligent satires. Mm. All of them. Like, they are almost parodies how spectacular... There's such good satires that people don't know that they're satires for the most part, unless you, like, know film. Like, that most of RoboCop is a joke about fascism. Mm. (laughs) But people are just like, shit's blowing up and it's fucking cool. Like, yeah. I love that stuff. Actually, you could swap RoboCop and Starship Troopers mm. in that That's lineup. Good. But the idea, like, consumerism, um, uh, environmentalism, and uh, fascism. Excellent what, what, satires. What order are you showing them? Um, so if it's, if it's a marathon, um, it's going to be John, Robo, and then Little Shop of Horrors. Because if I start mm. to fall asleep, I'm going to want to fall asleep to a musical so I don't have nightmares about people being exploded or eating each other. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Cool. Should I say my order? Sure. Yeah. Cause I just thought of it. So it'll be about time first cause it's British and then it'll be Hamilton cause we're leaving Britain. We're leaving England. And then it'll be <laughs> the dark night because then that's firmly in America and there's all the money and all, it's all about capitalism. That's we'll a good it. It's rich. all He's British British actors doing American accents. So yes, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I, I'm gonna go next. I would, and mine definitely have a connection. Um, but these are just movies that I think that people don't appreciate anymore, or have haven't been appreciated for quite some time. So, in order, mm. it would be the jerk. Um, Dead Man Don't Wear Plaid and then Roxanne. Mm. The great movies of Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Nice. Cool. Ro- Roxanne's my least favorite in there, but it's still Oh, great. I love Roxanne. Oh, Roxanne. I, I, Wait, I, hang on. When you compare them to the other two, it's my least favorite in there. I didn't say it wasn't enjoyable. Yeah. That's what it sounded like. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I think the movie's <laughs> shit. I think it's garbage. I think all he did was like slap feces on microfiche and then project it wide. 
I wish you could see my cursor, Noel, because I'm I'm up your nose. I'm up your nose right now. <laughs> JD's pretending to take a phone call because he doesn't even want to deal with us. <laughs> oh yeah, is it? So, so he doesn't realize that he can drop himself out. And we could still be on the show. Hmm. Nope, I want to see it. I want to see every 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 burp and whistle. <laughs> Uh, so when I when I when the first question first was asked, I was like, "All right, I got two. What's the third? And now I have seven or so. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I was thinking is like, "All right, like comfort movie. Like, what movie will I always watch if it comes on? Right? And mm. the Birdcage is on that list. Uh, mm. Yeah, Ooh, I love that I movie. Love that movie. Yeah, and um, and especially knowing the like." The Pierce the Toast line is an ad lib. Ever since I found that out, I'm like, I just enjoy that line so much more, you know? Oh, when he, he's trying to be like... Smear the toast? Yeah, where he's like, you know, men don't spread, they schmear. And then <laughs> Nathan Lane is doing this, and he's like, what's it? He's like, ah! <laughs> and Nathan and Robin Williams like, hey, you Pierce the Toast, don't worry about it. <laughs> it was He just accidentally broke the toast that yeah. he was doing. Anyway, I love that movie. Um, Coming to America is on that list, but I haven't seen it on TV in a long time. So, mm. you know, there's that. Um, but uh, let's see. There's I was thinking American Beauty, oh. um, which mm. is maybe my all time favorite movie. Um, wow. wow. Yeah. But I but I haven't seen it in about 20 years. So that's the other right. Like it enjoyed the place, but not not for a while. Flavors change like more rapidly than 20 years, you should revisit that movie. Mm. Uh, yeah. When it came out, it really spoke to the whole, like free yourself from mm -hmm. the, the like uh, doctrines of society. Right. And sometimes even I'm like, do I want to rewatch something that I loved? Because I love it now, you know, um, uh, like fight club came out around the same time and spoke to a lot mm -hmm. of the same feelings. Um what was, the, what was the other one? Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, that's another. That's another. That's old. the first one I've seen of the ones you guys have mentioned. Oh, really? Ooh. <laughs> the movies, man. You haven't seen The Birdcage? No. No. He wasn't was alive. Seen Birdcage, I, I think. think. Movies that were made when I wasn't alive. <laughs> he was what? It. So am I. Young Frankenstein. It's not those. Yeah. Wait. I so I don't like horror movies, and my my dad. Came home one time, Halloween. He's like, "We're gonna watch Young Frankenstein." And I was like, "I don't want to watch Young Frankenstein." No, he's like, Wait. <laughs> "And you know, just sit down and watch it." And I'm like, "I don't want to." And he smacked oh, you. It's not a. <laughs> and then what did you say? Just oh, keep doing the voice. My all-time favorite movies in the history of comedies. It is one of the best. Oh, qu quick aside on Young Frankenstein. Yeah. I was walking home one day with my daughter. She may have been about four or five years old, and I don't know for whatever reason. Young Frankenstein was in my head, mm -hmm. and I started singing out loud. You know, uh, uh, I, and I can't remember the words. But like, where fashion fits, and my daughter, without missing a beat, said, "Put on I had no idea that she had ever seen the film. She must have watched it with her mom. I was like, you are my daughter. And then we just walked home singing that for the rest of the day. Like, oh, my God. It's, it's oh, still one of my awesome. favorite memories. Cool. <laughs> All right. On that token, that's on my list then. I guess mine would be Batman 1989. Mm. Okay. 
Dread. Which one? The oh, new Dread. Dread, Dread not Judge Dread. Dread. Okay, 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 okay. And the uh, the Iron Giant. Well, oh, I've never seen that. Oh, well, you've never it's seen not... the Iron Giant? It's true. Oh, okay. oh he can't take it. He oh. left the show. Oh, yes. He's gonna so... bring. He's he's grabbing the toy. There, oh, it, is. there yeah. it is. Oh, I've seen it in your storage, JD. Definitely. How is it? No, that was the toy. This is the statue. Uh... Oh. Oh, nice. oh, Brian. Do yourself a favor yeah. and watch the yeah, Iron Giant. I have recently heard like some things about that movie that I almost would rather not have heard before I heard them, but I was like, ooh, that's good. And plus, I didn't know Brad Bird did it until recently. Oh, man. I, I got to see it in the theater. Like ooh. I just begged my dad to go, didn't know anything about the movie other than it was a cartoon that weekend, mm. and we all cried. Oh wow. it's, the, it's the best damn it's the best one of the best animated movies. It may, yeah, it, it may be one of the best. If someone said it's in the top ten of animated movies of all time, I would not argue. That is how yeah. good that that movie yeah. is. Yeah. All right, Brandon, have you seen the Iron Giant? Maybe when I was real young, but I don't remember it. Okay, yeah. all so, right. So, so it's a no. Yeah. Also, yeah, pretty much of of Vin Diesel's career. Mm. I mean, you know what? Have you seen all nine Fast and Furious? <laughs> Yo, Boiler Room was pretty sweet too, but I won't. I argue. mean, the Pacifier was amazing. Actually, his best his best performance is in Saving Private Ryan. To be honest, True. oh, I just watched that again. Boy, that movie! Oh, I forgot he he was one of the one of the troops, right? Like one yeah. of the main. Yeah. yeah, not about that with the little girl. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, what's up with Gutter Talk, Len? Oh, so I <laughs> there's more from Christopher Saint Saucy. Good night. Oh, he, he ain't gonna be mad at me for not reading his whole email. Um, so he continues with the second part. Have you ever had? Wait a minute. Let me check the rules. Are we cursing again or not? I don't care. Okay. Were we not have cursing? You- I I think I did a, a couple times. I'm sorry. Have you ever had to deal with a dick store manager? I went to Target in the wee hours of the morning to wait for them to open so I could buy the Target exclusive GI Joes that were scheduled to come out on Saturday, August 1st. There has been some wavering on when it will come out, and they kept changing the date, but early last week, they, Hasbro, confirmed they would be released in stores on the 1st and online on the 14th, but apparently it wasn't communicated to Target, and the manager wouldn't sell them or even go back to the back of the store to get them. The kid at the service desk confirmed they had them, and he was rather rude about it. Granted, I have been up all night and may have been in edge myself, on edge myself, but still, he was rude and haughty, smug about it. I wasn't the only one there who wanted them, so it's not like I was asking him to take my word for it. Plus, we had the press release tweet from Hasbro. I skipped out on voluntary overtime to make sure I could beat the scalpers slash flippers. And now I'm going to have to leave work early on a Friday morning if I can to do it since it's a day after I work all night. The perils of being a collector, I guess. Any unpleasant store clerk slash manager encounters uh, can you recall? And JD, I am watching your unboxing video and I also had the pokey little puppy, but I also had... Uh, Hiram's red shirt. Chris St. Saucy, good night. I I don't have anything specifically like that uh, where I'm in like battle with the retailer because at the end of the day, you mostly you, you just won't win. Like if they're not going to sell you something, they don't have to sell you something. So it's a very weird like fight to be in. Mm-hmm. But I have been in 
in situations where the retailer is just an asshole. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when I engage with somebody, whether I'm trying, I'm trying to buy something from them or they're, they're selling something or whatever, it's never, it should never be a closed conversation. Mm. It should always be leading, you know, like I have gone into shops and just been like, Oh, Hey, do you guys have um, this? No, we sell out of that. Oh, okay. I'm going to go fuck myself. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for like, like it's, it's very close and it's very pointed to essentially shame you into bothering asking. And that I don't, I don't abide and I never shop there again. And, or I have actually told them, that was shitty and then left. Like I've literally told retailers, like, you don't have to treat me like a child and or a subclass citizen. I'm literally just asking a question. I'm sorry if it inconvenienced you. So to always vote with your dollar and just don't go to that store again, period. Yeah. Now, I've been on both sides of that, right? Like I've definitely um, had retailers treat me, you know, as a, as an ass or whatever. I've also, I worked at a movie theater for 14 years. And mm-hmm. Like one guy called me a douche for saying, <laughs> he was like, Hey, the, you know, the movie was really loud at this free screening of Iron Man two. He's like, the movie was really loud. And I'm like, Oh, you know, sorry about that, sir. You know, if you come out, we'll always do it. He's like, yeah, it was so loud. I couldn't even talk to my wife. And I, I was like, yeah, well, we you're, we really prefer that you don't talk to during the movie. And he's like, you know, for a manager, you're a real douche. And he flipped me off and he left. And one of the other guys was like, that oh, was good volume, man. Good. So, you know, the, uh, I just bring that up to say that from his side of the story, he's probably like, you know, one time I met this real douche of a manager. And he said, you know, he had this real flippant response to my complaint about the volume. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, I yeah. I managed a movie theater just as long as you did. Yeah. Um, and for the, yeah, I did. <laughs> um, there were some really dumb people though. Like it was weird. Like they, for some reason, there's something special about the movie theater where people seem to think that it's a, it, it's less of a service and more of like a exalted event mm. where you are to be catered to. Like now it was. No, we just make sure that the presentation is, is right. optimal. Yeah. Other than that, like, this is not your television. We're not going to like hmm. adjust everything specifically to you. I can give you tickets. Or I can help rectify it. But I mean, ever, if you didn't ever. like the movie, you don't get a refund. Right. You know, I actually that kind of shit. Yeah. More than once, but oh, like, more than 20 40, times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My, my mom has said that when she was a kid, they would dress up to go to the movies. Like this was, yeah. this was an event. Right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's funny you should say that about the tickets because it ties into, into Christopher's question. That uh, one time I had a customer come up and they said, uh, hey, you know, I didn't like the movie. They were, the movie was done. They're like, well, I didn't like the movie. Uh, can I get a refund? And, and we said, no, you know, we don't do that. He said, but if you don't like the meal at a restaurant, they give you a refund, you know, or they don't make you pay for it. And I said, well, they make the food. You know, we just show you the movie. And I was very polite about it, uh, but pointed it out. And the customer was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. And he left. You know, uh, so I often find that it's it's best to approach it no matter which side you're on from a question of, from a standpoint of like, hey, you're just doing your job. You're not in charge of Target's rules. Hey, if there's anything like, could you help me out with this? But if you can't, I understand you get a lot more out of people if you um, don't confront them, if you like kind of 
hey, we're all just people trying to get through the world. If you can help me out, that's great. If not, yeah. I understand. You know, a yeah. lot of people. I have a similar um, problem to what Brian's story was. Is I actually had gone to that movie theater. Um, that's how I met Brian, right? Did we meet at your movie theater or at the comic shop? I assume comic shop, but it's okay. it's in the murky reaches of time, you know. And I was there, and I was at an Iron Man 2 screening, and I just really wanted to talk to my wife about spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> I had had a particular – no, no. I had particularly good spaghetti there. And the movie was so loud. Um, no, and we couldn't text. We couldn't text because they were like, yeah. hey, put away your phones. And I was like, all right, Stalin, making me do whatever. <laughs> Um, it's funny. It's funny you point that out because I used to go to this uh, comic book store and like this like ginger headed manager there. Every time I would, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just want, just waiting for it. <laughs> oh, I moved. I moved in the Hollywood squares. <laughs> oh, I'm one to the JT. All right. Wait, wait, wait. There we go. Um, so uh, I, I guess I have two. I had one where I was. Uh, the customer and I have one where I was the person in charge. Um, I was um, going to an old comic shop in Northeast Philadelphia. It was my comic shop, the one that was closest to me. I had to walk to it because I, you know, didn't have a car yet. I wasn't of driving age. I was very young. And um, it was one of my first experiences in a comic book store that I remember. And I had gone and I was excited to buy whatever it was. Maybe it was an image comic. Maybe it was a... Uh, Something, whatever, whatever the comic book was, the person selling it to me thought I was not spending my money correctly. And I was buying uh, a comic that he didn't like. And so he sort of like scoffed at my choice. Um, and it was then that I decided if I ever have a comic book store, I am not going to be that guy. Um, and he also made fun of, you know, there is a thing I saw recently, a meme where uh, it talks about vocabulary and how I learned a lot of my vocabulary through reading. Mm. So I didn't always pronounce things correctly. Um, like fruition. I always thought it was fruition, but anyway, there was a comic book called parallel lives. Does anyone remember this? I didn't sound familiar. I had asked for, I saw it behind the counter and I said, Oh, what's that book? Parallel lives. And I I used the wrong lives lives spelled the right, same way. Right. And he was such a dickhead because <laughs> I said parallel. I assumed maybe it was about it was a Spider Man villain right. named Parallel. I mean and that is the correct that. way. That is a correct way to pronounce that word. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. Uh, but he made fun of me for it, so I was like, I'm never I'm never gonna do that. Who is but this guy? as a guy who was running a, another comic book store, a, a customer had come in and he was flipping through a comic book very slowly page by page, almost panel by panel. Um, and I said, all right, he's sitting there. He's reading the book. I'm going to let him have the one. I'm not going to say anything. I'll let him get through that one issue of him slowly sitting there reading it at the shelf. And um, As soon as he picks up another one, I might say something. So he picks up a second one and I come over and I go, Hey man, that's just so you know, like we don't mind you flipping through the books, but can't really just sit and read them. I mean, that's it's kind of like stealing, right? And he's like, "What do you mean it's stealing? It's not stealing." And I was like, "Well, I mean, you're enjoying a thing that you're supposed to pay for for free, right?" Um, and I thought I was having a very what I thought reasonable conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, like, if you go to a movie, 
if you don't pay for the movie, you're, you're kind of stealing the movie, right? Uh, and he just, he wasn't having it. He was so upset and he threw the comic book down and he left. He was so angry. Um, so yeah, I've been on both sides of the counter for that sort of thing. Um, I've been the, I guess I've been the asshole manager, but no, yes. no, no, that, that but, but situation I was an asshole manager. And right. I wonder if we went and talked to this target guy who didn't want Christopher St. Saucy goodnight to buy his action figures. I'd just be curious to hear what his side of that story would be. Well, it sounds like his side of the story would be, we were told we can't sell this yet. And I have other things going on and I can't go and verify like he'd probably have to call his district manager or something yeah. to verify yeah. that this tweet is correct. And you know, I mean, he's at work, he's dealing with who knows what he's dealing with. And um, that is probably what his side of the story is, is what yeah. it sounded like. Did anybody not give theirs who? Well, I mean, I have like a few, I remember um, I went to like my first free comic book day and it was a, sh- a store that's like near my, kind of near my house. And the guy, like, he wasn't, like, really rude, but he was just kind of standoffish the whole time. And I was like, hmm, this doesn't seem fun. But it was also, like, one of the first times I'd gone to a comic shop. So I was like, I don't know. I've heard comic store owners aren't that great, honestly. Like, they say that online a lot. So that's kind of what I I was like. I don't know. Maybe this guy is just like this. And then um, I had a friend who lived closer there, and he doesn't read comics, but he said he went in there once. And the guy was a dick to him, too. So I was like, I guess that guy's just a dick. And then I went to a different comic store and the people there were like, they weren't, again, they weren't rude, but they also weren't like engaging or trying to help or anything. And I was like, hmm, I guess it's just comic book people. And then I went to Amalgam and they were really nice. And then I went to JD and he was really nice. I was like, oh, there are good people. Those guys were just we're just assholes. So, yeah. Yeah. I've always found that like I hear that about comic stores and I'm like, what? is that all about like the comic store has always been a welcoming cool place for me and i'm sorry that there are i think it was a previous generation too you know like i don't know, I don't know. There, for that. there's a there's a purveying kind of um idea of gatekeeping comics on mm. the retailer level that i do it does still exist yeah we're just lucky enough to have yeah in our immediate area a handful of stores that aren't like that but yeah. it's it's less common than it should be even the even the very popular stores that we hear about, I've yeah. been to like in in major metropolitan areas, and man, they don't give a shit if you're there yeah. at all. Yeah. So, I went, I went, it, like being on the other end, being on the, the you know this side of the of the ownership, um, I've still gone to shops in Philly, and nobody yeah. like the guy was there at the counter, re- like reading his comic book like this. Yeah, didn't look up for once. I was in there for twenty minutes browsing around. The, there was a cat, and the cat greeted me, so that was cool. Now um, I know where you were. I don't see that yeah. as a problem. Right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't see that as an issue. I know <laughs> – I feel like for whatever reason, we feel like when we walk into a store that we are here with the money. And no. They do, no. No, 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 no. no. Hang on. A- I'm not saying that you guys have – I just think it's like an underlying current in our oh. American kind of like how we approach retail. The customer is always right. Exactly. Which yeah, is I don't agree with that. You're the owner of the store, but yeah. if you're a customer, no good, you know? I well, I think there's a so there's a difference though. It's not a I am here to regale you with my dollars, serve me. Versus, hey, you walked into my home. Hi. Yeah, that's it. Say hi. Simple as that. But when you think they, about it, like I know what shop he's talking about. And yeah. 
they don't give a shit if you're alive, let alone you're inside their room. It's really weird. Like I've walked through that store and looked and been like, is someone working here? Like you, you feel like you don't eat, like what the hell's going on? Yeah. It's I weird. don't know what I don't know what story he's talking about because um, I do know a comic book store in Philadelphia that is famous for having a cat there. That um, I, my experience has always been very welcoming me when I go there. Uh, I have and and I only go there now since maybe two three times a year. Yet when yeah. I but when I do, I'm almost always remembered by the people that are people that are there and if i see someone who i don't recognize they do greet me when i come in you know even even if it is to check my bag it is still to say hey how you doing you know and then they check my bag and they say you know do you need any oh yeah help? they do that. You know um so the cat's very nice too right so i don't the know if this is, is the, super nice maybe fair i don't know if this is the same comic book store that you're talking about but um the comic book stores that I frequent, like my two comic book stores are always are Amalgam and Hero Complex. And there are probably, honestly, two other comic book stores that I go to um, that I'll visit like maybe about two, like I said, two or three times a year, just to, you know, put my face into place. Um, and my experience at both of those stores have been nothing but like cool. Well, that's the other thing, right? So uh, on another level, I'm also, I try to keep aware of the other person's day. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, like if, the, and it's a lot of it, actually, a lot of it may be, first of all, it's empathy, right? It's me mm -hmm. being empathetic towards someone else having a bad day. So if someone cuts me off in traffic, while uh, there is a, a hint of, I'm so, oh, I'm so angry at you for cutting me off, um, I also try to think, Maybe they just got a call that someone's dying. Yeah. Mm. And, and, you know, my feelings about traffic law, notwithstanding. Right. You know, they have to get to a hospital or, or they have to get home to maybe, you know, the cat is sick or something. You know, they're in a hurry. Yeah. So I try to be aware of that. So, like, even, you know, with Len, what you're saying, um, maybe the person at the counter was just having a real bad day. They were having they were breaking up with their girlfriend. They were. Right. Someone was sick, something like that. I always try to take those things into account. I know a lot of a re not I'm sorry, not retailers, customers, like people who shop, you know, which is everybody. Um, <laughs> but they will go to a place like a like a restaurant, and they will have a bad experience at that restaurant the one time they were there, and then yeah. that restaurant is dead to them. I'm yeah. never going back there. Yeah. Whereas I try to be like, well, I didn't like the wings, but. I wonder how the cheesesteaks are, you know what I mean? Or, or something like that. Or maybe I just, the, the chef, they had a bad chef that night. Yeah. Um, Where's so the threshold like, though? What? Where's the threshold? The entire menu or yeah. like, no, no, no. That's not even a hypothetical. I mean like how many times until you start to kind of like create a pattern? Oh, I, I would guess, say like, if I go a second time and if I give him a second chance and it was still awful, then I'm like, I might rethink yeah. visiting there again. You're dead to me. Yeah. yeah. No, then, yeah. then I will murder them. Yeah. They'll yeah. be dead to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they will just be dead. Um, is that the end of uh, the email? That was the end of his email. It was indeed. Um, action figure expert says, hey, question for Gutter Talk. Do you guys think there is facial recognition in the DC universe? Maybe someone like Superman needs to start wearing a mask. I have an answer to this. Uh, and it was presented, I think, by jo um, John Byrne in the Man of Steel series, 
for Superman that he did post-crisis, mm. wherein um, there were cameras zipping around Metropolis trying to take pictures of Superman, and all of the pictures come back blurry. And yeah. they thought there was something wrong with the, um, the cameras. Mm-hmm. Turns out, Superman, whenever he's in his costume zipping around, he will vibrate his face at such a speed that you cannot take a picture of him. Yeah. Yeah, the Flash does that. Awesome. Yeah, Garrick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but also, too, uh, the DC Universe knows who he is. Now he does. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. um, Yeah. True. And also, there's no – how many other heroes that are that popular and that, like, mysterious don't have some sort of face covering? Yeah. True. That aren't, like, public. Here's the other thing. He was the only one. We, you know, Secret Identities started in the late 30s, and things were a lot different back then. Um, it is. <laughs> yeah. This is a funny picture I always saw. This is what I always think of when people bring up Superman and facial recognition. That's yeah. great. It's always, yeah. Yeah. Explain it. Explain it for the audio. Oh, right. For the audio people. So it's a picture of Lois and she's on Facebook and she shared a picture of herself being saved by Superman and Facebook tagged it. And they're like, do you want to tag Clark Kent? And she's super surprised. She's like, wait a minute, what? What an amazing comic strip. This, like a one panel, yeah. that is perfection. Thanks for bringing that. I didn't, I was like, what is this down here? Who's this other person who's joined the stream? Yeah. Um, you know, though, uh, in defense of Lois, people are always like, how did she not realize she spent the whole Silver Age knowing that Clark Kent was Superman and trying to prove it and constantly being thwarted mm-hmm. by some super hijinks that he did? Like, she knows. She just can't prove that he's Superman, you know? And and then believes it otherwise. But with any of these guys, like, secret identities, I don't know that they would really work now. Like, maybe you wouldn't know who Batman is, but if somebody with enough resources wanted to find out, I think they could find out. You know, you figure out who the Flash is by a variety yeah. of technological... Oh, like, there's cameras everywhere, you know? A lot of stories now are, are, are subverting secret identities for yeah. the most part. Yeah, like if not fully revealing who the character is in their secret life or not, they will uh, bring in other. They'll they'll rectify that other characters knew or always yeah. knew or right. kind of know. Like even with the Joker now, like you've been dealing with this dude for eighty years. Yeah, I know he's Bruce. Like in oh, uh, uh, on the the CW shows, uh, one thing I really like is that they still have secret identities, but the people close to them. They don't keep it from. Yeah, they don't. They no. don't play that. Like, well, because yeah. also too, like, uh, I think, I think it's kind of a societal thing too. It's not as widely accepted to just be constantly lying to your loved ones <laughs> in your inner circle. Yeah, it's not yeah. as widely yeah. accepted yeah. as it once was. It's it's <laughs> not as yeah. It's not as, like uh, living a lie right. is not as acceptable as it once was uh, in the community. Like the Flash got married to, in the comics. He got married to Iris without telling her that like. Here's a large thing what I do with my day, and it really is most of my own identity, too. Hey, kids, look up consent. <laughs> now, it turns out she did know, but not because he told her. Like she, uh, but, you know, it's earlier, not- earlier, Christopher saying saucy goodnight uh, accused one of us as being woke. I'm going to say it's no consent. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we have some woke topics. You guys want to keep talking about facial recognition? Um, why are we here? Our gutter, what is, what's our gutter talk chit chats that we haven't even gotten to yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know. We, it's gonna... We've been talking for two hours. I think we've done. That's a what I was wondering. Of, 
a good bunch of gutter talk. Look, man. All right, I, Brandon. Brandon's been hot to talk about something specific. I guess we'll do it next week. Well, yeah, but it, like, no, like Wen said, it's been two hours. I don't want to like be here all Hold day. Oh, yeah. I, um, also, I mean, Nolan brought something up too, like this week that I thought we were going to talk about. So there's yeah, a few the, topics. The for two of them want the to future. talk. What do you want to talk about? Guys, look, I, I, I put together a drift. There, there are two. There. <laughs> oh, it's just us now. No, have you heard yeah, about okay. Time War so, Victoria, Doctor Who? Okay. Uh, no. Okay. So there are there are. You two lost topics. your shot. You blew your yeah. shot. No, I'm, I'm not gonna. It, this is my shot. I'm gonna take it. Um, there. You're there not are two your shot. There are two. T- I. Mm, there are two topics. I can do the whole song if you want. I got it. That are pretty prevalent in the uh, comic book industry that we were going to come up uh, or or use as like a prompt to start conversation with you guys to get your opinions because the whole idea of gutter talk is to kind of talk about what's happening outside of just the stories. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things was these this underlying prevalence of sexism in comic books or in the comic book industry. It has always it's always been kind of known that it's. Um, kind of like a boy thing and most of the characters are cis white males and uh, women are usually objectified. This is an historic thing that's been happening in the shadow of the me too movement. We've also been discovering that it's not only something that potentially happens on the page, but it's also something that's very prevalent in the industry. So in just the last like two months, uh, very large creators and editors are being accused and or admitting to sexual harassment, grooming, um, predatory behavior. Um, and then on the other side, you have a lot of groups that are um, claiming that the industry is turning into a SJW factory and they're exalting all of these voices by virtue of them only being of color or only being uh, a gender other than, than, than male. Like uh, essentially they're claiming affirmative action as opposed to opening up the industry. So like some of the, some of the things that are happening or that, that have happened recently, um, you've got creators like Warren Ellis was accused of grooming. Um, Cameron Stewart was accused of predatory behavior. Uh, Scott Alley, who was the um, editor in chief of dark horse comics was straight up accused of sexual assault. Uh, Eddie Berganza two years ago, notoriously harassing all of, any like anybody in a skirt at DC right. for many years, and it was hidden. Um, Scott Lobdell just right. stopped doing freelance work for DC in kind of a clandestine way because it was kind of known, or at least assumed under the surface, that he's a he's a the kind of guy that doesn't understand what no means right. when advancing on a woman. Uh, and then you've got stuff like Make My Milkshake. Which was like a comic books, comic skate thing, and uh, and the the Whisper Network. What are those? What are those things? Those are the only ones that I didn't know when you sent our notes here. Make my milkshake was essentially like almost the start or the opening salvo of comic skate. So uh, a a group of female editors uh, and writers at Marvel. Heather Antos. I think I think was it was mainly started by Heather Antos, who was the editor for Star Wars. And Gwenpool is how I know her. Mm. So yeah, yeah, but that's that's, so that's, not, that's not what he's about to go. I know where he's going. Well, no, go ahead, she go. was the part of. Keep going. It, it, let him go. Let him go, Brandon. Uh, well, she, uh, at work, they took a lunch and had milkshakes together and posted it on on social media. Mm. 
all the ladies of Marvel or ladies of Marvel editorial hmm. having a Sunday together hmm. and shared it and hashtagged it. Make my milkshake, like make my Marvel. Yeah. And it turned into this hmm. weird uh, backlash about women in comics and voices in comics and comic, the comics gate whole thing kind of used it as an example of them not doing their job. Well, I, I still don't even to this day understand why it was a problem of people that work together, having a milkshake together. Cause but it was in their face that it was all women. I assume is the, the I, you may, maybe that's the, maybe that's the emotional reaction to it. Right, but then also, right. also, just recently, and that was years ago at this point, just yeah. recently they had the whole thing of like the Whisper Network. So apparently one woman was talking to another woman in comics about how a man affected them. Hmm. And that was called a Whisper Network of they talk undermining to serious problems that they're having in their lives. I got you. But apparently <laughs> that's um, predatory against very innocent men just when two women talk to each other about them. So I think it's it's these weird double standards that shouldn't exist, but uh, are slowly being made prevalent in the comic book industry. So the question, the yeah. prompt, uh, with all that context and pretext, is does the comic book industry have a systemic issue when it comes to sexism and harassment? And if so, how do you think that the comic book industry should respond that isn't going to cause even more fire? Right. Well, first of all, I think that the comic book industry does have a systemic issue when it comes to uh, women and people of other colors um, uh, on the page and behind the page. I think I think it is definitely there, um, and I think that as those voices are being heard more and more, and if those people and those voices are getting opportunities to shine within the 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 heart of the industry as far as comics goes and with that it's the big two marvel and dc with maybe mm -hmm. image and dark horse on the side um as well as because you know the the um the the path of entry into the field has been democratized so much over the last few years that more people can take their own shots and be successful in it, find an audience. Uh, those successes are the answers mm. that will change the system slowly and surely. Mm. But those successes are, 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 are what will change the system. What we are hearing is unfortunately is the squeezing of that small minority i want to i want to hope mm. that it is rebelling against it because it goes against you know how they feel things should be whether or not they are racist whether or not they are more chauvinistic or sexist what have you they or they are just blind to the privilege that they have been afforded all these many years and that privilege being called on it put on uh, on display and they don't they don't like that yeah. and they're feeling they're feeling that pinch 
You know what I mean? I want to think that that's a very loud and vocal minority, but they are loud, and that's why uh, the our voices have to be as loud, but yeah. more deliberate and strategic in how we do it, and don't and don't fall into the trap of like you know just screen matching screen for screen. Yeah, it's it's. I think it is more of a an issue of volume. Like they're so loud that it's starting to sound like they're the only voice and then that's inaccurate. But I did have a follow-up question though uh, with what you mentioned, like the way to win, win, the way to rectify it, the way to make it right, I think is probably more accurate, but is to succeed in telling those stories and getting those voices. Mm -hmm. I do believe that when you have a large audience, you also have a responsibility. Like freedom of speech is an inherent right but when a billion people listen to you, your freedom has a different responsibility than somebody just on the street, even though it is an inherent responsibility or uh, right. Well, but you still have responsibility so, for just one person. Yes, but yeah. the ramifications of that responsibility are completely different. Very true. You know? Yeah. Um, so with that said, my belief, do you think that the big two and maybe image have a responsibility to make moves towards progress, have a responsibility to highlight those voices or amplify those voices in order to combat? Or do you think that they are better served ignoring them? I think they, I think they do have a responsibility to do it. And I think that for the most part, they are trying to. Now you could yeah. argue with maybe some of the, the their methodology of doing so, uh, of both, you know, you agree with some moves and some moves you don't agree. Some things um, maybe they, they give up on too soon. Um, and, and some things may feel like that, you know, a little forced. Um, but, you know, uh, I think they are trying to find their way. I think for the most part, Marvel has been a little forced in, in, in doing it, but for the most part, they've been successful in, yeah. in doing it. And and as, as forces some things have been, they've also done some things that have been smartly done as well. I think DC is slow to the slow to the catch up the train, but that's unfortunately the way DC has always always been historically go ahead brandon but i think i feel like i don't know i always feel that dc is slower but better like i feel that like they like marvel will put characters in their comics that are like representative but then they'll like those characters will kind of be i don't know for lack of a better word like token characters like they're not really characters they're just like like um stand-ins for people whereas i feel like dc will do the thing where they'll actually hire people behind the scenes mm. who are like are actually in the positions that need to be highlighted like i was just watching one of the comic con at home panels on um i think it was called like out in comics and one of the creators was i forget what the book he worked on was but it was one of dc's more recent books about a gay um character who like also discovers he has like aqua superpowers and I feel like that's the type of thing that actually changes things because you're actually hiring a creator who knows what people are going through. And when that person tries to do the thing they want to do, you give them the leeway to do it. 
like he was talking about how DC was super open to him, like having two guys kiss in a, in a book and things like that. Whereas when you look at like Marvel and you look at like Cena Grace, he's written a few things about how Marvel was very reticent to let him do certain things in his Iceman book with Iceman being gay. So it's like, if you put the character in a book and then you don't actually highlight the things that people like that go through, yeah. then it's not really worth it, which is why I, I feel like Marvel definitely does more and the stuff they do is good. But I think that DC, in my experience, puts more work into doing doing it well as opposed to just doing a lot of it. JD? I have uh, – well, I, I, I'm sorry. I was with a customer, and so I, I've just sort of tuned back in. Um, and this may have already been brought up, but responding to, to Brandon's thing about having a character of a particular sexuality or um, maybe even race or whatever, um, is there something to be said for – the person in that story, who was, you know, you said there was a character who uh, had water powers and they were gay. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It was like, it was, was a it the, young animal book, I think. Was it the OGN? From Young I, Earth, but then he made his way. I, I think he's talking about that new OGN. Yeah, that's what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. Oh, you brought yeah. me the ocean? There was an ad. Yeah, board. you brought me the ocean. Yeah. You brought me the ocean. Yeah. So, yeah, my question is, is there something to be said for when a character of a certain sexuality shows up and that is not, the story is not only about their sexuality and it's just, mm. this is a story about a person, that person happens to have this sexuality yeah. uh, without focusing, you know, and I think to me that seems like a step forward where we can have a show like a, a show that is, uh, has queer characters in it and it's not, um, what was that something Will and Grace where every joke is about right. gay? Right, right. Um, like we have, a, we have a, a sitcom and it's got characters who are gay in it, but the joke isn't that they're gay all the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not the defining aspect of their character. And it's not the defining, someone's sexuality is not the defining aspect of their character in real life too. So I, I agree with that. But, um, I lost my thought. Oh, is how, how, uh, just devil's advocate. How is that much different than being colorblind? You know, like if you homogenize a race cause they're just like us or something like that, then you remove their culture from them as characters and it doesn't matter anymore. And that's when they become tokens. Like, like you had mentioned, Brandon. So where's the, I think there's somewhere in the middle, right? Like there's, right. you have to identify the the characteristics and the traits and the and the sexuality and the race you have to identify that that cultural uh, aspect of the character right well but I think it can't right. be the basis of every single thing that comes out of their mouth or do right it's just it's you can't ignore it and you also can't only lean into it as a defining character trait because no one is like that as with anything there's a middle ground right yeah well, I think a varied response is the case is what makes a lot of stuff work right. Because there are people who that is, that's their identity touchstone. And there are people that never think about that at all in real life, you know, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, the diversity thing, Brandon, I think, you, I think you came up with it exactly, is that like doing it behind the scenes will produce good stuff in the scenes, you know? And I, I think about one of the kind of practical problems of it for DC Comics, the big three are set, right? Like, the main characters are set. And it's very, very hard to get somebody into the top level, 
you know? Um, I think that having Jon Stewart as the Green Lantern is like one successful version of that. I was interested in your guys' opinions about how you feel about Martian Manhunter being portrayed as black now. Like, does that count as uh, representation? You know, he's Martian. He's not black, but he is played by a black actor on on Supergirl. Um, and it's a way to get more representation. It's not it's not gender related, but it's representational. No, I don't mean nothing to me. I, I mean, I don't have no thoughts. He's, he's he's literally played by the most alien looking black guy anyway. So <laughs> it, it doesn't really matter. But that's not the only place that he has. You know, there's been a tradition. Right. I think it's like. Was I it, think he was like that in um in uh Justice in New Frontier. I think he was black. Uh, he, no, he, no, 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 was no. Was he not? White, oh my bad. In New Frontier. Yeah. I think I think I uh, like not to that point, but going back to what Brandon had said too, like the the right and the wrong way to do it. You know, yeah. to paraphrase uh, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, um, trial and error, essentially. Yeah. Um, I think we could probably all learn from, especially because these groups that we're talking about flip the F out, (laughs) trying to insert diversity into your big three that are set, right? You know, your main characters, even if it's just temporary Mm. caused a very uncomfortable uproar, but switching out writers and staff, um, the uproar, became underground and only on Twitter and only in YouTube channels where it was like really pernicious Mm. and gross where people were getting like doxxed and attacked. Uh, I I don't, I don't fault either big two for doing either one. Right. Mm. Like I think as much as it didn't maybe work for Marvel, what they did, I thought was spectacular. Uh, introducing characters like um, like Kamala Khan and Miles Morales and and the Mighty Riri. Thor, See, and Riri. Support, right? Like yeah. Miles Morales the, and Kamala Khan are still around. They're strong. All of them are still around. And like like but, yeah, but. they are. I, I don't know. Well, I just mean like when you think about like a few years ago, like you you remember like the all new, all different Marvel, and it was like yes, yeah. um, it was like uh, what's his name, Sam Wilson, Cap. It was Jane Thor. And it's like those kind of people. Riri, I think, was the main Iron Man at the time. I think yeah. it might not have been, but it was like they were, they were like three. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I feel like just a lot of those things. They were like, "Oh, people don't like it," and I feel like they kind of caved a little early. Like the thing I think about all the time is um, Marvel. Like he died, and then people were mad, and they wanted him to come back. And I read something that the creator said. Because like he his dad had died from cancer, and so that's why Marvel died from cancer. And he said, "When my dad comes back, Marvel will come back." Ooh. And it's like a thing where, because it was so important to him, Marvel stuck with it. And nowadays, yeah. they made a Captain Marvel movie, and it was Carol Danvers. It wasn't Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. So my thing is like, if you stick with it long enough, I think, then people will get used to it. And I just think sometimes they don't stick with it long. Enough. But at the same time, obviously, if books aren't good, then I understand changing it so it's tricky i think the problem uh was twofold uh with marvel the all new all different marvel which i i really liked it i am a person who has been reading comics for so long that i want to read the next thing i want to read the 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 uh uh, what's the word for the evolution of that thing? So i i like when characters pass on their mantles to other characters you know 
Kyle Rayner, Wally West, etc. Those are my favorite kinds of stories. Um, but I think with the all new, all different Marvel, I think the problem was that they did too many too quickly. You know, the, the landscape was completely different, like from one month to the next. All of a sudden, all the characters were different characters. Um, and then I think a lot of people had trouble with uh, Jane Foster was Thor, even though his name was Thor. All of a sudden, she had his name, Thor. Um, and Iron Man, the Iron Man book was actually Ironheart. So the I can see why people would be upset that the characters were being taken away from them because they're picking up a Thor book and Thor is now a, a, a different character. Um, and Ironheart is not Iron Man. They're Ironheart. Counterpoint, for a year, Captain America was not in his own book, only his supporting cast. When he died, yeah. But, but uh, along that line... There were a lot of people that were really upset about that, but then the book was awesome and they liked it. And or, there wasn't the racism, sexism element as well. Yeah, of course, that yeah. isn't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's still like the apex of strong blonde white guy versus all of these other characters that were replaced by people of color for the most part. This is, Do you think that there's something in it? Like with Captain America versus... Because right. Thor is also he, a strong blonde white guy, so I wasn't sure... No, I mean, I mean, like if you if you if you take that rationale where people were, which I I think is true. This is just like a maybe. Hmm. People go to Iron or to the Iron Man book because they want to see Tony Stark as Iron Man. I get, but that happened with Captain America, where they went to the Captain America book because they want to see Captain America, but it was a supporting cast of different races for however long. Oh, versus okay. replaced by Riri Williams for a short period of time or Doom for a short period of time or Jane Foster. Does that have anything to do with potentially, or did that give ammunition to shitty people to complain about it being women and people of color? Samuel um, David chimes in and says, yeah, but if a book is not, is just not good, it doesn't matter how long you stick with it, but that's yeah. subjective. Oh, of course it has to be yeah. subjective, right? But if you're not liking something, then, you know, maybe you can examine why you don't like it and maybe you'll uncover something about yourself and then you can like the book, but you might just not like the book. I mean, that is possible. I think a lot of the basis of it is, right? We, a lot of people, me included, like what, one thing we like about comics is the the power fantasy, right? Like, oh, it would be really cool if I had super speed, like that kind of thing. And if you start with a character that has, you know, whatever powers and they are of whatever race or gender that's one thing but <laughs> there can be an element where you're like wait a second thor is now a woman i am one step farther from being able to imagine myself in the place of these characters now this is not this is not uh to say one thing or another about how you should feel about those characters but i think that that is part of where this anger comes from that's my that's my guess yeah, that's delusion versus empathy though like yeah. You can empathize with any character, any yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you're if you're too delusional to not even want to take the leap to enjoy it, then that's 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 an inherent issue of the reader, not the story being yeah. successful or not. Well, I'm yeah. talking about. I mean, I'm empathizing with them. Like, I'm trying to find where they are. Oh, coming I, you know what? Yeah, that's yeah. a real. That's a really good point, though. Like, as as a cis white straight male, mm -hmm. it's easy for us to take those steps to. I get what they're mad about. I think it's incredibly irrational and stupid. Yeah. 
But I think I get the idea of you having all of this control and a modicum of it being taken away. So it feels like it's the slippery slope. I, I mean, I, I, representation I, is important, right? I, yeah, I, I understand. themselves on the screen. I, like, I understand it. I empathize with it. I get it. But I think that they're fucking wrong. They are. I think that they're. I think that they're evil, and I think that they're angry and stupid, and I think that to to attach it to something as malleable as storytelling is folly. It's just it's so cyclical storytelling, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that that makes it even worse. It's not like, I mean, we haven't had permanent changes in comics since, since Captain Marvel died. And, and they that, found ways to bring him back 1,700 times as being either a scroll or a memory or time travel or, like, nothing yeah. really ends. But to put it to uh, a, a bit of a point, especially with the Jane Foster becoming Thor thing, that did happen in the Thor comic book. It stayed in yeah. the Thor comic book. When Captain America dies, the comic book becomes the, the adventures of... Captain America's supporting cast. You know what I mean? Um, and even when uh, you know Sam Wilson at one time takes over Captain America's comic, it still is Captain America. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there is something to be argued about the forced nature of somebody like Riri Williams taking the Iron Man shot and then the book becoming iron heart mm-hmm. as opposed to it being just a storyline in iron man that runs for however long it does you know and what i mean what about james Rose? do people feel about I that mean, does anybody wait, remember it was still iron man it stayed it iron, still man. iron man she mm-hmm. left her book she left the book and then chose the name iron heart and mm-hmm became and had her own book so like okay that's right because yeah. there was still an iron man book still being put yeah out. Okay. She was she was just the she was the um, supporting cast that was kind of upgraded for about. She got a spinoff. Issues. She got a spinoff, and, yeah. and that's the way that it's. And technically, that is the way that it is supposed to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, which which then makes their argument ring hollow. It's like, what do you want? You still had your Iron Man, and she got her own book. You can either not read that own book or not. Yeah. This comment's good. You yeah. can argue whether or not it's forced. Sam, uh, Samuel David left us a comment. Why do we have to get rid of something good to diversify? Can't we just create new, good, kick-ass characters instead of getting rid of something that is loved? As a Latino person, I don't want to see a Latino Captain America. I love Steve Rogers. I feel you on that. However, it, um, to use the vehicle of Captain America, Iron Man, Thor as a window into creating a new character is just called marketing 101 (laughs) and i'm not going to knock them for doing that if they are smart about developing their that character um so that it is something that is still out there and prevalent such as riwi williams um ms marvel uh uh, miles uh, morales miles morales Jane Foster's book now, Valkyrie, like these were all ways to just mm. elevate them to their own original stories. All they did was leverage IP, which is what you're supposed to do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
The, the most egregious thing, and then I've talked about it at nauseam. I'm only going to mention it again one time right here because it still pisses pisses on my neck, is when, and this is DC getting it wrong, when they, you know, want to, and now, yes, it is old, bring back, you know, their, <laughs> their the white guy to supplant the brother. When they had a perfect opportunity, there's no reason why John Stewart should be on the sidelines. There's absolutely no reason for John Stewart to be on the sidelines because there was 10 years when John Stewart was the dominant Green Lantern in the DC universe. In a, it, in, from the cartoon, you mean? Like from the cartoon. In many ways, he was people's introduction into mm-hmm. Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, to then force Hal Jordan. I'm not even talking about Barry Allen because y'all know how I feel about that that bore. But just about Hal Jordan Allen. to force him Boy, back yeah. onto onto the scene um and then just like do some whole machinations of his of his character. Now he's a man without fear. You know like get the out of here, man. Wait, wait. Well, he always was. Wait, so then no, he was. You say that. Just the what, about, what about bringing Wally West back? Because to me, that's a very similar thing. But I, I didn't want to. I didn't. Started. I didn't want to go on Wally West because that's that's replacing. That's I'm replacing not talking about white guy for a white guy. No, it's not. I'm talking about Wallace, who was originally black, and he was going to be the Wally West. And then they decided to bring back the redhead Wally West. And they made him all special. And they made him Doctor Manhattan and everything. And it's a very similar thing. But everyone's okay with that. Like, I don't, nobody's okay like, with it because no one understood who the, like the difference between Wallace and Wally because editorially they couldn't get their shit straight. No, nobody. So it's like, nobody like, like we couldn't. We him. couldn't even. Go ahead. Uh, they didn't put him in the universe as Wally West. He would, you know, like Wally West, second sidekick, became the Flash, was the Kid Flash again. Wally, who the guy who became Wallace West, was not any of those things. He was like. Third generation, I think the problem with him was that he wasn't just black. They changed his character completely. And I remember hearing a complaint about him being like a stereotypical, like Barry Allen met him as the Flash when he was graffitiing something and being a, a lawbreaker. And I remember hearing somebody was like, what the hell is this? Why can't he just be black? Yeah. You know. I feel like people only have that problem when they actually have a, pro- a different problem with the character. Like, people don't have a problem with Miles Morales graffitiing in Into the Spider-Verse. Like, people only have that problem with, really, they don't like the character. And then they're like, also, it's racist. This that's, was that's uh, something uh, I opinion that I heard from somebody else who was writing. I mean, he was a black man, and he was writing it. Uh, like, I read that article. Um, mm-hmm. So, But, but yeah. the difference but difference with Miles Morales doing the graffiti is that there is... There is something he's doing the graffiti for a reason. It's an expression. It's part. It's more to his character as opposed to him just being uh, that being uh, 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 a way of showing that he's a lawbreaker. No, he, he also um, does it. He does it in the most lawful way possible, being an underground abandoned train station, <laughs> right? And cleans off the stickers. Like it's 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 different. The characterization is different. It's just a quirk. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, so there, there's the I, there's the difference there. Yeah, the the thing with Wallace is that so if people want to like get on a horse about like forced diversity, 
they did it based off the show. And then they narratively tried to squeeze that shit in somehow. And it didn't mm-hmm. make sense for most readers because at already DC continuity was not making sense whatsoever because they yes. skipped everything five right. years, but still wanted to maintain all the fun, th- the fun stuff. Right. So like they, they truncated it and switched it and cherry picked it. And now they're inserting a new character with the same name of a character that wasn't existing in the current continuity right. anyway, but then he was going to exist again. It was just broken from jump. And people were already upset about it. People were already yeah. like, Wally West, the Flash that I've loved for years. Yeah, yeah it was, it was just weird. Yeah. That's, that was just a weird instance. Like, What do you guys think about the redhead? Have you guys noticed that? There's a lot of characters that are, that are changed to black are, were previously redheads. And I don't know, is that still... There's like a little bit of racism there where it's I can like, only think of two. Okay, there's uh who is it? Um Wallace Aaron, and Lightning Lad. Yeah, Lightning Lad. Who was the first one? Wallace, Lightning Lad. Um I think uh Zendaya was playing MJ. And this is not to say like I don't I am not expressing a problem with these changes. The uh the <laughs> issue that I'm expressing is why is it always the redhead? Is that still symptomatic of like Oh, we're going to give him an unusual looking white person. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, uh, they replaced Nick Fury. That's true. That's true. He wasn't redhead. He was not. He was not. Well, it's not everybody. I just noticed this pattern. Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Um, and it could just be coincidence. Lana Lang in the upcoming Ariel season. in The Little Mermaid? There's an upcoming. Oh, on the TV show. Oh, in the movie. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And Lana Lang in the, in the upcoming TV show. Starfire. Starfire, also. Good point. I mean, well. Although she was well, she's orange. Dark. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> My people are being shunned. <laughs> um, you know, and all of this, what we started talking about with sexism as well. And it's interesting because in the very early comics, Lois Lane is an incredibly powerful. I mean, she was a star reporter in the late 30s and 40s. And she's a been around for 80 years. Where's her she special? She had a whole week. It just ended. I mean, she it was a 12-issue special, yeah. and it was spectacular. You know what I was thinking, Len, is that they did Action 1000 and Detective 1000, and then when those were successful, they started doing 80-year specials. Maybe Lois will get an 85. You know, because it's been three years now for her. When did you read the Lois Lane book? I read a couple of issues of it. It was good. Yes. Hmm. He's a traitor. Shut you up, didn't I, Specter? He's a traitor. It's fine. We've gone off the track here. Of no, we were getting primed and back to it. Yeah, and and the other thing is, I think it's really important. I suspect we hear about this in Hollywood, right? And we now have started to hear about it in comics. Those people are famous. I don't think it is a problem with Hollywood and comics and the entertainment industry. I think it is a problem with people in power. You know, mm. who is the CEO of whatever company that I've never heard of? How are they acting? I suspect yeah. it's just as bad, if not worse. And how do you fix that? Nobody's talking about them because nobody knows who they are. You know. Well, yeah, that's it. This is a this is a public. Um... The uh, entertainment industry, comic industry, music industry, they have um, direct access or fan direct access to the mm-hmm. end product. The mm-hmm. other, you know, most powerful millionaires and billionaires in the world, there's 
tons and tons of layers of unseen apparatus that are keeping the end user away from all of that. Right. Right. So there's no, it's, it feels like it's farther away and it's probably much easier to hide. Uh, but now that the world is smaller and everyone. These are like business people who went into business. All's fair in business, right? Like, ah, it's just business. Yeah. These are very, uh, sometimes, at least with the artists, these are a bunch of sensitive people and it's still happening. You know, well, <laughs> you know. I, I think know. that this, this is directly related to, to like the second topic that I put in that we won't even like have to go into it if you want to, but like going back to do publishers have responsibilities when you have an audience and a voice, do you have a responsibility by all accounts? It looks like dynamite entertainment, dynamite comics was, I mean, in bed with comics gate, which is the largest group of, or I mean, we'll call them a hate group, the, the loudest group that opposes these acts of diversity or these initiatives to, to kind of, you know, open up the playing field, not take away seats, but add seats to mm -hmm. the industry and the audiences. So they got caught advertising for Comicsgate because uh, they had a, a, a program, um, which led to a lot of writers, a lot of creators, artists and writers uh, abstaining from working for Dynamite and a lot of um, retailers saying they wouldn't sell or buy. A lot of consumers stepping away, voting with their dollar. Um, this caused a big uproar. Uh, not only did those on the, let's call it the right side uh, of the argument, feel as though Dynamite was bending a knee and shouldn't have to do this, and all, it, all that matters is good comics. And then you had people on the left side of the argument saying, no, 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 this is the only control we have, so we're not going to work for you and or contribute to your bottom line if we feel that you are um, out of line or supporting hate. So what they did was not only did they cancel what they were advertising, they also got rid of all of their crowdfunded um, uh, projects, which usually most of the comics gate and or, you know, parallel groups would jump on top of. Uh, but they also issued a statement, which a lot of people thought was incredibly lacking. Uh, almost so much as uh, there was a shit ton of snark in how they talked about it. And I was, I, I want to read a little bit of it and I want to get your guys' impression if you hadn't read this yet, which is awesome. Uh, so it goes as follows. Uh, Dynamite Entertainment is a partner in the fight for equality and inclusion. Our company was founded on these core values more than 15 years ago, and they are essential to the creative process, the work of visionary artists and entrepreneurs that we are passionate about. Intolerance has no place in our company or our industry. The impulse behind this brief association that was of helping a friend of many decades and his family and not how that assistance could potentially affect our valued colleagues, partners, and friends. That association is behind us, and this has strengthened our resolve to continue working with the most diverse talent in creating the best comics possible. They followed that statement with another paragraph uh, talking about all the women and people of color that they work with. Dynamite works with some of the most high-profile creators in comics and entertainment, including Gail Simone, Christopher Priest, Andy Mingles, Leah Moore, Kevin Smith, David Walker, Vida Ayala, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and a host of upcoming talent. So in their statement, many people found lacking that they didn't talk about what the problem was. They didn't address any next steps as to how they would they would go farther. Well, um, they, they and they, they behind them. 
they under uh huh. They did say the association is behind us and it has strengthened our resolve to continue working. They didn't say specifically what they would do, but they, they, didn't, say, they didn't say what they say. Yeah, they didn't say what the association yeah. was at all. But they also gaslit the whole thing of it being, oh, we were just helping out a friend. I don't like, see we it. didn't know. I don't see it as snarky, to be honest. You can read it. Oh, no. Way, but this is not snarky. Right. How it was reported was snarky. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, like, a lot of the, a lot of the sites were like, Dynamite made an apology, I think. Like those were literally headlines. Like the fact that it was, it was, it's very, it's very milk toast and whitewashed of we didn't know that this was a hate group because we don't pay attention. And we were just helping a friend who just happens to have a million dollars worth of crowdsourced angry white guys. Like like they they pleaded ignorance and then never said what they pleaded ignorance about. Just that Do we're we cool know, now, right? What's the, like, wh- what are they talking about? Is the... Uh, so, um, one of, so you're familiar with Comic Skate. You're familiar with uh, Ethan Van Skyver. Yeah. Um, his right. inner circle, his, like, main five dudes of Comic Skate or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they were taking advantage of this Indiegogo um, thing with Dynamite Comics where they... If they agreed to put a dynamite character on their crowdsourced stuff, it would turn into a whole thing, mm-hmm. and they would be able to advertise through Dynamite Comics their comics game stuff. Uh, so, not only was this happening, it was happening on the side for a while, like for like two years, they were doing this, and no one was really talking about it. But then Dynamite started advertising it on their Twitter, and that put people's eyes to it, and then that kind of created the rabbit hole of. How long have you been working with Comicsgate? Are you oh. a Comicsgate company now? Oh. And a lot of their writers and artists were just like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa what?" Right. And right. then that kind of turned into this whole thing. But then it, but then it was revealed that like the create, like the the editor in chief or the the president of Dynamite, Nick Barucci, has been working with Comicsgate. Um. He's been donating on their live streams. He he uh. helped set up EVS for all of his crowdsourcing. Like they gave him, like they were they were hiring all these guys for. Um, for variant covers. So like they have kind of been sourcing and right, right. and funding this indirectly. So yeah. to bring the conversation back, when it comes to when you have an audience, do you have a responsibility? Do you think that dynamite is complicit in funding division? Or do you think that they're just stuck in the middle of this division while trying to make a dollar? Hmm. And how would you respond to that as uh, a consumer? Hmm. Um, I want to think that they are kind of like stuck in the middle. I want to give somebody the benefit of a doubt that, you know, you do develop friends in this, in this industry, especially if you're a publisher and artist and you may not be fully informed on how they are politically or socially inclined because you may deal with them on a personal level and if you see like if I deal with case in point because uh, I asked you guys earlier off mic about you know losing any friends who were Trump followers right Mm -hmm. now I knew a guy who I was working like this little part time situation and we both went through training together and me and him were like the oldest 
people in in the training situation so we kind of like latched on to one another yeah. older white guy we started we had you know could make the same references that, and we kind of like bonded with one with one another through the training we're cool we're cool as hell i mean like you know he wasn't like my best friend or anything like that but he was a good dude i would i would go yeah. and it's like it was fun to see him like yo what's up what's up and we would eat lunch and whatever and then one day we had to go somewhere together so he gave me a lift and he had a trump bumper sticker and mm. i was like ah mm. you uh follow trump and he said yeah i do and so we had a minute convert. We had like a couple of minute conversation about it, and could see that politically, we disagreed <laughs> big, big time, right? Bigly, bigly, right? You're but, not from borderland. Is that is that accurate? That would be that would be <laughs> accurate. Accurate. I lean very far the other way. I am planking the other direction. Um, so. So, you know, I resigned myself to like, okay, we disagree here, mm. but for the most part, he seems like a good dude. He talked to me about his grandchildren, his mm. wife, and he seemed like a good dude. You know, I would have never thought any differently of him. But then after that, I started picking up some little things in how wow. he was talking. Yeah. And how he and who he like you know how you might make a funny comment about somebody or something and I started making noting whom he's making the the, the funny comments about mm. right and what he's alluding to in those funny comments mm. and I started to get a deeper sense into who he was mm. and I'm like wow for the most part you're still kind of a cool dude. But I I can't I can't mess with you anymore, dog. And and, yeah. and I had to disassociate. You know what I mean? And I, I want to and I want to think there's an argument to be had from the publisher of Dynamite if he has a relationship with Ethan Van Skyver, who's yeah. like the biggest name in the comic gate world, yeah. that is on, on a more personal level. That maybe he didn't know the whole deal, and then once he does he does it. He don't know how to act. Now, am I being maybe a little bit more forgiving of him than most people? Probably. But that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I I, I well I'm sorry. Um, no, keep going. I think to your point, I think that you can't unring that bell though. Mm -hmm. So there was a there was a linchpin there's a linchpin piece of information that you were given that opened your eyes to all of the other things that, that supported it. Exactly. Had you not had that linchpin piece of information, you wouldn't have noticed maybe all of those red flags. Hmm. Nick Perucci. Uh, JD has, has come in oh. as well that just since, you know, he's not here. He says, you have to pick up on those red flags with any new relationships and Trump support is a big one for him. Yeah. So like, that's a great analogy though. Like if you didn't, Nick Perucci now, or the, the head of Dynamite Comics now has been made aware of this linchpin piece of information that would very much affect his bottom line in his business. Also, should affect how he treats himself or, or, or presents himself in any public forum, whether it's right. digital or otherwise. Right. It's a linchpin piece of information that should affect your actions going forward if you don't want to contribute to that 
sect, that group. Knowing that, and the level of his response, because Samuel David here says, well, they did apologize, isn't that good? It wasn't really an apology. It was a mea culpa. And they also didn't say what they apologized for, except I was just helping a friend. Hmm. That's that's as strong as I was just following orders. I was just, I didn't see him going. I just got out of his way. Like, that's not taking account for literally anything other than you being a good person and a victim. As a leader, own what you own. Say what you did and what you will do. This is weak. Just verbally, it's weak. I don't no know about that. No, I don't know about that. I think no, it's no. weak. I, okay, fair. I, I, I don't know about that because let's, you know, take it on its face value. He was helping out a friend, right? Yes. So, so maybe it really was about him helping out a friend. Now, like you said, he's got a key point of point of information. Yo, that runs against everything that we do. I can't, I can't fuck with you. Dude, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta cut ties, and he cuts ties. Now, as a business, he has to make a statement about it, right? But if you were indeed helping out a friend, then do you, you also now are kind of trying to walk a fine line? Maybe you're not as friendly with the dude, but you also are still, um. You also do have to deal with the personal relationship that you do have with somebody. So mm-hmm. you you do have to maybe couch what you're putting out there a little bit. Um, and could he maybe have put some more detail in it? True, maybe. But he does speak about what Dynamite is about. He does speak about which which as he puts it, is everything that Commons Gate is not about. He yeah. does speak about working with um, creatives who some are, uh, who in the names that he lists, are some names that Commons Gate have come out against. Yeah. So he is putting that out there as well, that he is put, that he works with those people. So I am putting it out there that I am decidedly against everything that they put out. If I'm not coming out and saying it super dramatically in the words that you would out of perhaps respect to whatever relationship that I've had with somebody then that's a bullet that I'm going to have to I'm going to have to carry but I am trying to tell you that I am on the right side of justice here and I can say that because on the black tribbles we've had to walk that fine line we've had somebody yeah. that left our show for reasons of his own that were against some of the things that we that we're about and that person for his own reason has not chose to really put his story out there and it is first and foremost his story to put out there so i'm not going to put his story out there we haven't and we won't. And, um, but we had to release a statement where we spoke about what we stand for. And somebody's not here. Did we go into any great details about it? No. 
because it's mm-hmm. not our story to tell. But that's what we. But that's what we're going to tell our part. We're going to reinforce what we stand for. They're not here. We're moving forward, and that's what he's trying to do. And it's a and and yes, it's a hard bar to 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 cross and to get over, especially when you've got the world's expectations looking at you and everybody feels like they know the right way to say these things. None of you do because none of you are in that situation. And I'm telling you, as somebody that was in that situation, it is hard. When you have a personal relationship with somebody, and I'm not talking about the Trump dude, I'm talking about somebody totally different. A personal, long-time friendship with someone, and you've got to, to in some way cut ties without maybe cutting as many ties because you hope to try to have some save something there it's not easy to do what's what's very ironic about this though is the people in the comics game field are more offended by it than anyone else no because they're they they deal in such absolutes of bend the knee you're with us or you're not that this was the equivalent of naming names, setting houses on fire, throwing shit at your door when they tried to like he he in essence did and did go as far as as that's unforgivable and impermissible to that group. So, I mean, why not just name it? You know, like it, it, the the way that the the group has always functioned is in those absolutes in those like really, really angry and scream it out and impotent nastiness. So this almost made everything worse because he couldn't address either faction in any kind of correct way. Do you know what I mean? That's why I feel it's weak. Not because I don't agree with it or he's trying to like get out there. And actually I'm a little upset because there's a lot of dynamite stuff that I love and read, but I'm not going to anymore until I feel like these aren't just empty words because they are a little weak. However, he was trying to square the circle is like, that's kind of all you can do. At the end of the day, that is all you can do. Screeching at people, harassing people, um, you know, tweeting at them, doxing them, all this other stuff is just silly, childish nonsense. When really at the end of the day, Vote with your dollar. Spend your money on the things that you want to spend your money on. Um, support the things that you want to support. You know, whenever there's something I don't like, I don't, you know, if there's a comic I don't like, I go, well, that wasn't for me. And then I find another book that I like. I, I vote with my dollars. I buy the books that I want to spend my money on. And I don't waste my time trying to bring down things, you know, comics or, or pieces of art or, or um, you know, things that I don't like. You know, I just. Well, that's not. But that's not always enough, though, because like, some like if someone is comicsgate, just like voting with your dollar, isn't enough. When if they're gonna screech, like if if Gail Simone is gonna constantly be getting like, like um, death threats and things like that, mm. you can't just have that be the only thing she's getting, and you can't have it be that like because then it seems like people agree with it. Like sometimes silence like almost equals complicity. Brandon, whatever the word is. I think you hit on maybe a really great solution, but I'm not sure that that it was shined on enough. Uh, that can't be the only thing that she is getting, right? Do we have to yell at the Comicscape people? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But you say to Gail Simone, like, 
let's even it out. You you like tweet her how great she is. You know, maybe that well, is uh, helpful. Isn't that literally what I just said? But, support, but support people also you but like. people also have to know when they're doing wrong. Like you have to tell. Like people have to know they're doing wrong. And I don't think that means screeching at them. But like if you take into account like the Jay Lee thing, for example, he didn't know that he was working for Compute. At least that's what he says. Right. So if you don't say anything then he would just continue to do it. Like if no one told him, hmm. then he would just do it. Like something, you have to say something. I, you just don't have to be aggressive about how you well, say it. Even the that is not against the thing that I'm saying. Well, you I, said I think to just, you said just vote with your wallet and to not say, it sounded like you were saying don't say anything. That's not all he said. Okay, I, I might have misheard. Um, I, in, in like, the, but the Jay Lee thing is kind of, it's kind of a perfect example of, I didn't know, oops. Um, but then also part of the statement was that people like his statement that people didn't really pay attention to was that he emphatically claimed I'm not a part of any groups, meaning that he could still work for comics yet if he wants to. He doesn't care about yeah. affiliation. So how do we as fans respond to that if it's important to us, whether you like that artist or not? Like, all right. I mean, it's cool. I know you're not a bigot. But if you get paid by bigots, I'm not going to give you my dollars. I'm sorry. Like, it doesn't matter. At that point, when you have an audience, it doesn't necessarily matter what you truly believe. How you move your audience is just as powerful or is just as impactful. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I didn't read it as him saying, like, he doesn't care. But I didn't read it. I, but it could be. It was like, a, first of all, that was an awful scenario. Like, yeah, they were mourning their their dog's death. Nobody, death and nobody no nobody came out of that good. Um, we should we should say what it is if we're gonna oh, like. So, yeah, so Tom King, who writes for DC Comics, um, saw that Jay Lee had done a cover for a um, comic skate. Cyberfrog. Cyberfrog. He yeah, he did yeah. he did um. For EVS, yeah. he did a he did a cover for Ethan Van Skyver, uh, Cyber Frog, and so Tom King said, "I'm disappointed." I tweeted about it without reaching out to Jay Lee, which I think was as soon as I saw this, I was like, "Did you ask Jay Lee?" Like, yeah, it seems weird. You guys are in the same industry. You think you could at least shoot off an email or something without calling him out publicly about it? Um, and so I think that that was a big problem is just being like, "I'm going to shine a light on this guy, whether or not he knows." About well, what happened was he said that um, Jay Lee did a variant cover for his book, um, Rorschach, and then he said that he doesn't consider that to be like the main cover and he doesn't necessarily support that cover on his book because DC doesn't consult their writers when picking yeah, a book. And yeah, yeah, I'm just saying why Tom King was getting involved yeah. in the first place is because it was his book. That's true. That's yeah. true. It was, yeah. Yeah. It, was, it, was it was his book. Yeah, he didn't have any kind of control as to who would do the variant covers, and he just wanted he wanted to make that clear. And he, by virtue, doesn't support like even if Jay Lee supports Comicsgate, I do not support Comicsgate, even though his cover is on my book. Yeah. But he didn't actually do the legwork. He just jumped at oh shit, this might look bad. But he didn't do the legwork of actually asking Jay Lee or getting in touch with Jay Lee to find out any context. And it's stuff like this where I understand where people get upset at. I mean, never, never mind the hypocrisy of saying you that you are against cancel culture and then canceling things. Um, but uh, I understand why people would get upset at cancel culture because some that was someone 
jumping out trying to cancel somebody without all of the facts, right? Or at least reaching out to that person. So it's, it doesn't well, help. Then, there's a, well, we should finish the story. Because like, so then after that, um, Tom King later tweeted, uh, he talked to Jay Lee and Jay Lee didn't realize what comic it was. And he said, we're all good. And then a few days later, Jay Lee posted a picture on Instagram with a caption, a long caption mentioning that like he had been getting a lot of hate and things like that for this thing that Tom King had put him in, involved in. And he was dealing yeah. with the death of his dog and it had been a horrible situation for him. And he was really angry. He, I don't remember his exact statement, but he was saying he was really angry with Tom King for how he handled it. And he said, no, we're not all good. Yeah. Yeah, we're not and then Tom good. King, yeah, Tom King waited a few days and then he posted something on Twitter where he said, like, I was in the wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I have now apologized privately to Jay Lee and now I'm doing it publicly. He left the tweets up for a few days, he said, so that it didn't look like he was trying to hide them or anything. But now that he'd given them some time, he was going to delete them. And I think that's where we're at now. Yeah. And honestly, like as, as much of a shit that he was or, or responsive shit that he was to like do it. I do respect that kind of apology. Whereas sure. this is what I did wrong. This is how I fucked up. This is how I will do better. This is what I've done to rectify it. I'm not making excuses. Now I'm taking them down for this specific reason as to not continue the, the narrative that I was incorrect about. And he just went away. Hmm. So I, I actually do kind of respect that. There was no, there was no, um, there's no wiggle room in what he said. There's no, uh, larger, like, well, I don't support hate without actually saying what you don't support. Like these nebulous things of like, he was very direct with his apology, which I appreciated. And we'll just see if he follows through on it. If he doesn't do this shit again, I, that I, I would be for. I, I think that we have gotten to a point where again in society, where the, uh, the side that we don't agree with is so it seems so bad, right? That to even empathize with them or to have any sort of admission like, well, I was friends with that person, right? Is 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 passed out, is impossible to do and maintain being a good person, right? And I mean you guys know I don't agree with any of the stuff that we are arguing against now or at any other time on the podcast, but there, uh, there is an uncomfortable and maybe societally unhealthy response of, all right, you're out. You know, like you were friends with this person. You wanted to help this person. There is no nuance. You are out by association. I mean, in a lot of ways, the cancel culture, it's not going to produce a happy, unified, forward-thinking society, you know? Um, and you're right. People do need to be told if you believe they are wrong, um, if it's important enough, not always, but uh, but told in what way, right? Told in a way that will get them to change their minds? Or do we just want to yell at them and, you know, like not understand where anybody's coming from? And even even to say that, sounds a little bit like I'm arguing in favor of them, right? And I think that's a problem. That's yeah. the problem, is that that's like I'm arguing for them. You know? And the threat, in, in, our, in our offline conversation, Brandon mentioned this, what's worse? Do you just ignore it and not give them an audience? Or is mm. it more important to be informed consumers so we can make these decisions for ourselves? 
Hmm. Like, do we just ignore it and not give any kind of credence to it or, or airspace? However, they mm-hmm. still have megaphones. Do we still ignore it? They still have audiences that they're indoctrinating. Do we still ignore it? I'm not saying ignore it. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about okay. – you're, you're talking about the, the idea of don't jump and cancel, which I completely agree with. Hmm. Do your homework. Understand what you're doing. But it goes the other way too where we can't be so passive that we're never aware of where we put our allegiance or we put our money. Passivity is not, is not at all. But, but that's part of the problem. The dichotomy seems yell or silence, you know? Yeah, I, and I think conversations yeah. like this is the in-between. Be yeah. completely aware of the context of where these things come from, right? Yeah. I don't know what's happening with Len, but he's doing some weird stuff for the audio listeners. <laughs> I love Mbaku back there. Yeah, like a he's done. He's done. What's up? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. He's done. Nice. Oh wait, hang on. In comic books, I think it was this week or last week in one of the um Empire tie-ins. I got to find out what that meant in Wakanda. Yeah, in Bombay. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. In Bombay. Yeah, and it's never been. Ex- yeah, it's never been explained. Hold fast. Have they, said that? Have they said that before? Is that a thing? I never knew it. Oh, okay. I mean, it was in the movie. Yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. It was Empire number uh, number three. Yeah, yeah. Samuel yeah. David says, "Agreed, Brian. You can't force people to do anything. You don't want to ignore it, but you won't change anyone's mind by trying to force someone to think like you. There huh? has to be another way." Right. It can't just be like like uh, Kingdom Come, right? They got to a point where they just fought each other. Who was a hero? Who was a villain? They were just fighting each other, and Superman and and everybody. They were like, "This is not, this is not how it should be done," right? Yeah, and you know, I I've, I'm on Twitter, hmm. and so I can see uh, most of this discourse, if it could be called that, is hmm. ha- is taking place on Twitter, and it has gotten to the point where it's just. Anti here, comic skate, and then everyone else hmm. uh, trying to dunk on each other. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's, not, that's not furthering any conversation. It's just, oh well, you did this. Oh well, I did this. Well, you did this, and it's just this, you know, spider two Spider Men pointing at each other over and over yeah. again. Um, fight, I, right? It doesn't. What do we really want? A better world that look, won't produce it. But how do we do it? We don't know, so we fight. Yeah, I look. I, I I completely agree with that, but I'm also I'm also slightly sensitive to how somebody like me, hmm. how uh, privileged of a perspective it is to to have. I'm not being persecuted. Yeah, I'm not being homogenized. I'm not being threatened. How privileged I am to be able to step back and say, "Hey, let's discuss this." Because I'm not the one being trampled or, or felt like I'm in a time clock of being silenced, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, that's, that's the other argument towards let's just all hash it out. Like, no, be mad. You deserve to be mad. You're being silenced. Be angry. Sure, okay. there's a second step. There's, there's that other, there's like that second phase of now we address it. Right. But a lot of times these arguments turn into, well, that's not the way to get them to listen. Like, Fuck you. Let them be angry because they deserve this for a second. And then yeah. we'll talk about the, the you know, quelling the masses. and Right, but I'm, not, but I'm not yeah. saying they shouldn't be angry, right? And that's uh, the danger that we're in yeah. is that 
you can be angry and still understand the other side. And, you know, and you can be angry on somebody else's behalf and still see where another group is coming from. And the only reason to see where they're coming from is to help change their minds, right? It's not like, hey, why don't we all play together and you hate some people, whatever, it's all good. I'll look the other way. You know what I mean? It's to help change their mind. I need to know where it comes from so we can rip it out, you know? I, well, you know what? Honestly, um, as an organism, the the comic gate itself, I mean, they are, <laughs> to, in my perspective, they are an imposing force to the relatively um, safe equilibrium that was comic books before. Like, it's just, it's past, it's storytelling for lessons. As, yeah. as, as, all, as, as all greats, like, uh, I think that's the morality, morality porn, right? Like, yeah, always do absolutely. the right thing, and I love that. <laughs> and, absolutely, know? and yeah. and and as soon as it was widened to to include other people, it became an issue, and and that's just empirically wrong, right? Like, because the morality remained, the lessons are the same, the stories are being told very similarly yeah so the only difference is that it's not this specific sex race or gender i mean empirically you're wrong to argue that it's no longer viable right if it was working for you before like just mathematically that makes no sense like um i told jd this before the reason why i think and i i just just realized that the reason why i think i'm loving teenage mutant ninja turtles is because it's a different voice and perspective that I have never, ever read before. The current writer is writing a storyline, or um, uh, Sophie Campbell, who's transgender, is writing a storyline about people who were against their will put into different bodies Hmm. that they were born with Hmm. and how they're dealing with it. This is a Saturday morning cartoon spinoff that is dealing with a point of view and perspective about transformation that I have never felt before in a mainstream comic. Well, that's what we're saying is that like behind the scenes, those people have new, fresh perspective. They, I never thought of that with the Ninja Turtles. She did, you know, and that's why, why it's good to have them behind the scenes. But to a lot of these people that would be considered a diversity hire or like it was unearned and that's absolute bullshit and it's wrong and it should be called out. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> 14 hours later. Anything else? No, man. Oh, no. But, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long, lonely, lonely. And another thing. No. Yeah. Let's all uh, just try to make everything good all the time for the future and for the present. Um, all right. Thank you so much for joining us uh, with a Cult Pop podcast. Uh, you, we will go live <laughs> every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Uh, where we will review ish. that comic. What? 10.30-ish. <laughs> yeah, 10.30-ish. Um, Christopher St. Saucy, good night. We'll be there at 10.31, wondering why we're late. Um, 10.29. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you can email us at cultpopgo at gmail.com or... Blacktribbles at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Let, oh, uh, what's our next book club? In case anyone wants to read along at home. Lucifer, Lucifer. volume one. Yeah. Yeah. So, by Mike, uh, uh, Mike Carey and Peter Gross, right? Now, the, uh, there's a few others, artists in there. Beginning. 
But yeah. Well, I, what, old school Lucifer, not the new series. There's multiple volume ones. Be clear which volume one it is. You got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, it contains more than I realized. I just looked at it last night and I was like, oh, yeah. I thought this would be volume two. Nice. <laughs> also, I think it'd be cool if anyone wants to comment on the YouTube video, like about what we were discussing. That'd be cool too. Yeah. I'll look at them. I don't know about everyone else, but yeah. Yeah, we yeah. get notifications. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, all right. I guess that's it. Uh, Brandon, where can the people find you? Uh, here in my living room. Well, my dining room. Do you That's have a, about it. Do you have a Twitter? Do you have a... I mean, email? yeah, but eh, don't worry about it. All right. Don't no. talk to me. Uh, I, you can find me here every Saturday morning or on the YouTube channel, uh, Cold Pop Podcast, uh, uh, Facebook page and social media, or you can directly at me uh, at Mr. Bartocci on Twitter. It's written right there. M-R-B-A-R-T-O-C-C-I. Right. Uh, I also am here on this show, as we all are, on Sunday mornings. Uh, I'm at brianleibdesign.com, and there's also an email associate, brianleibdesign at gmail.com. Um, if you feel the need to contact me, do so. Glenn. Hey, you can holler at a triple any place you find a black tribbles on social media. Find our podcast. We stream live every Thursday night at 9 p.m. The Black Tribbles live. Uh, check us out. I also do another podcast, the Micheaux Mission Two Men One mm. podcast. Every black film ever made. We stream live on Tuesday nights. You can go to Micheaux Mission on YouTube or on, on uh, Facebook and check out our show Tuesdays at 6 p.m. This week we are doing BAPS starring Halle Berry. That promises to be a lot of fun. So uh, holla at a triple. Hit me up. Len, how far how far in would you say you are with every like what percentage of of every black film ever made are you at right now? I think we are rounding two. Uh, 2% <laughs> of black films that have ever been made. All right. yeah. So this yeah. will be on for a while. It'll be, it's, it's, yeah. This is episode 216 oh, and we've got a lot more ahead of us. Cool. Um, I guess that's it. Email, you could, you could tweet at me at JD Zero Complex. Um, thank you so much for hanging out with us for most of your Sunday. Um, <laughs> we will see you next week. Oh, also, you know, we'll probably be tossing up some thunder rounds later in the week, in the midweek. Um, those are a separate thing now. So uh, let us know if there's anything you want us to do a thunder round on. Thunder round. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk at you later. Thanks so much for listening to Spoiler Alert. Check out all our shows, including the Cannibal Horrorcast where we review classic and contemporary horror. Oh, it's so spooky! And Gutter Talk with the Black Tribbles, recorded live every week at Johnny Destructo's Hero Complex in Nanyang, PA. Yeah! This is great.